You are listening to ACB Media, stream number eight. Opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone and do not reflect the opinions or values of the American Council of the Blind. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> this is Ann Bikton. I'm the president of the Kansas Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Welcome to day two of our 101st annual convention. Um, this morning, before we get into the heart of the convention, I want to remember to thank ACB Radio for hosting us with Rick Moran, uh, Cecily Ripper, Anthony Corona, and additional helpers. And Monica. what? Monica. Monica, yes, I'm sorry. Monica. Uh, let's see. Also, we need to thank Envision who are our convention sponsors this year at $1,000. I want to thank our door prize contributors, Nanopack, Envision America, Kathy Dawson, Nancy Johnson, Byington Advocacy Consulting of Kansas, and Wes Brummer. Uh, if you are listening to this programming on your Victor Reader stream, we're on ACB Media 9, or we are on ACB Media 8, ACB Media 8, if you are listening with an A device, an A girl. And um, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to switch files. I uh, found something that I thought might be interesting. Of course, I can't find it now, but... Um, The uh, ACB has some really cool uh, items or sections, I guess I'd say. We get emails from a variety of places, and I don't remember where I found this article last night, but it seemed like it might be something we would be interested in. And before I read it, I would say that uh, when we first got on to the ACB listserv, uh, as you know, some of you, I sort of got carried away with sharing messages from uh, the ACB listserv. And that's because I'm a, I'm a uh, techie, kind of a techie junkie and a catalog junkie. And I don't always know when to stop sharing information with the listserv, and I lost a few members because they said, we put too much stuff in our mailboxes and we don't want to read all this stuff. So I've cut way back on things like that. This is an article about a wearable um, harness that's supposed to help blind people navigate the world. And it's from a, a thing called Zine Magazine, and I pulled it off of a message that I got about uh, technology, I think. I can't, I don't, I didn't write down where this came from. But anyway, it says Swiss Startup has re released a smart harness at summer uh, electronics trade show, event show, using autonomous driving technology to allow visually impaired or blind people to detect obstacles seconds in advance. 
It's called the Biped 21 uh, wearable harness. Wearable technology has a minimalist um, design with inbuilt 3D cameras that can be paired with a uh, what is oh headphones or Bluetooth earphones uh, to warn users about the position of obstacles around them. The vest fits on shoulders, and thanks to the to its 3D cameras, it's uh, can detect and protect the, the trajectories of all surrounding elements. A surrounding element uh, can be detected a few seconds in advance, just like an autonomous vehicle. Biped uh, co-founder Michael Fabian told fan, uh, DZine, DZine is the name of the magazine. It generates 3D audio feedback to warn the user about the position of the uh, important elements around them, he continued. Bipad One is a wearable device designed for visually impaired and blind people. Uh, people while working in an uh, ophthalmic hospital in Lausanne, Switzerland, Fabian noticed that. Blind and visually impaired patients, sometimes uh, a preferred alternative aids uh, other than the, they call them sticks, we know that mean canes or guide dogs. Starting to walk with a device that is er ergonomic and uh, intuitive brings confidence and eases acceptance of the other solutions too, he said. It's a good in, uh, complement during mobility training. Uh, Fabian came up with the idea of the Biped One device with his business partner, Bruno Volber, during the International Create Challenge uh, in hackathon in Switzerland. Inspired by autonomous vehicles, it integrates the latest advances of research industry, Fabian explained. It will allow you to safely and intuitively navigate in your daily life. The harness uses autonomous driving technology to detect obstacles in the wearer's path. Together, they uh, devise software called Copilot that draws on the technology used on in autonomous vehicles for the harness. 3D cameras detect, track, and monitor the movement and surrounding objects in a 180-degree field of view around the wearer. 
the software can provide the trajectory of an object obstacle a few seconds in advance, helping the wearer the wearer avoid uh, uh, obstacles or collisions. Um, okay, it's called Maptic. It's a wearable navigation system for visually visually impaired people. It can identify more than 10 types of objects, but only filters the important oncoming obstacles. For example, it will alert the wearer if it detects a dangerous obstacle, such as a bike 12 meters ahead, but, in, but in, ignore an object that it determines not to be dangerous or that it has no collision risk, the object. The device then filters the relevant incoming information and warns the wearer via spatial sounds, quote, uh, take, which appear similar to real, the real version of a sound. Fabian can, can Fabian conducted research with visually impaired people to create the device. It is fitted with a removable battery, which lasts for over six hours, meaning that a, a wearer can use it for it with the majority of, for the majority of the day. It can also connect to the GPS on a smartphone and give navigation instructions to the wearer through audio cues. iPad One is also designed to work at night and in dark uh, locations as the obstacle avoidance software relies on high quality infrared cameras that work in an, a darkened condition. The device will be available in Europe from September 2022. The brand is creating the harness uh, in a small and a large size, which will work for anyone over 1.5 meters tall, however that tall that is. Uh, when its 3D cameras detect obstacles, uh, the wearer is alerted by sounds other, other launches at CES 202 include the IX Flow Concept Car by BMW, which changes color from black to white to mask the driver's mood and conserve electricity. Okay. <laughs> South Korean car company Hyundai also revealed its concept of a system called the Mobility of Things, which could turn inanimate objects into robots. That would be scary. The Consumer Electronics Show is taking place in a uh, person in Las Vegas for the first time since the 
start of the pandemic. So um, there we have it, the uh, wearable harness. We don't know um, how much it costs. That's the one piece of information they didn't put here. We have Michael McCary with Assistive Technology for Kansas. 10.30, we have um, Kansas Specialty Dog Service with Deb Tegedoff and Kelly Meyer, the mayor, the CEO, that's 10.35. At 11.15, we have the uh, Kansas State School for the Blind, Dr. John Harding, who is their acting superintendent. He may be, he may be uh, more than active now. Um, at 12 o'clock, we have six participants from Envision. So if you ever want to know about Envision, this is your day to tune in. Actually, that's at 12.05. At 1.15, we have um, Talking Books and Braille e-reader with Michael Lang, the director of the State Library Talking Books Program. Oh, I'm sorry. At 2.35, we have the Treasurer's Report with Bob Chaffin. 2.50, we have Nanopack with Vince Cianfroni. He's going to go from 2.50 to 4.15, and his focus is low vision aids. And then at 4.30, we have Michael with the Legislative Committee Report. So having said all that, I'll be quiet. We'll turn the floor over to Michael McCary with a assistive technology for Kansas. And thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, guys, for uh, allowing me to be here today. Um, kind of want to talk about what assistive technology has been up to uh, the last year and uh, some of the changes that are happening within our organization, as well as you know, talk about some of the new items we've gotten in for demonstration and evaluation purposes. Um, I hadn't really planned to show and tell today uh, just because with uh, obviously with being on Zoom using cameras, it's a little bit hard sometimes. But um, first and foremost, you know, obviously we've been dealing with the COVID pandemic. Um a lot of the sites statewide are doing very limited in-home uh, visitations. Our site here in Topeka, which, by the way, for those that don't know me, my name is Mike McCary. I'm with Assistive Technology for Kansans, Northeast Access site uh, based here out of Topeka, out of Topeka Independent Living Resource Center, also known as Tilrick. Um, our program is a statewide program. We have five access sites across the state. We have a site in um, Oakley, Kansas, which is the Northwest Educational Service Center, which covers the western third of the state. Um, we have a site in Salina, which is OCCK um, Outreach Solution Center. Um, they cover the north central area. We have a site in Wichita at uh, ILRU, um, which covers the South Central region. We have a site in Parsons, which covers the Southeast region. Um, also the management office for assistive technology for Kansans is in the Southeast region as well. And then we also have 
our office here in Topeka, which covers the Northeast. We cover 13 counties. Um, basically, Osage, Franklin, and Miami County North uh, to the Nebraska line. And then uh, Osage, Shawnee, Jackson, Brown to the Missouri state line. But we do have an 800 toll-free number. It is 1-800-526-3648. If you call that from a landline number, that will automatically route you to the, your local AT site. Um, I will tell you here in Topeka, our, we've had some issues with uh, phone service getting switched around. Uh, even though we've been here now, since December of 2019, we're still having some issues getting our 800 number line switched into here. Um, but for those that do need to reach me locally, um, you can call 785-233-4572, or you can email me, and my email is mmccary at tilrick, that is T I. L R C dot org. And that will get to us. Um, obviously due to the COVID pandemic, as I stated, we are doing very limited in home. Our office actually is doing a hundred percent remote services, um, which is kind of unique for us. And we're looking at how to better serve customers remotely uh, we're looking at different options um, between using uh, a lot of programs, especially with JAWS for working with clients that may need additional help using the Tandem program, but also using Zoom, um, Teams, Skype. Um, I am the lead AT specialist. I say that grudgingly um i love what i do don't get me wrong but we do have a bunch of new staff um i primarily handle the i can connect program and voc rehab and individuals with vision and hearing impairment um, that may be medicaid or non-medicaid um, we have judy korbelik who is our funding specialist and judy um is awesome at sniffing out additional funding sources. We do work with individuals looking for different types of technology. And we do a lot of philanthropic organizations as well as um, other organizations as well, and also private funding. Um, we don't have a checkbook, unfortunately. So if you're calling looking for something, we can't write a check for it, unfortunately. <clears throat> I wish we could, but we can't. Um, and then we have uh, Troy Purvis, who is our uh, key specialist. Key is the Kansas Equipment Exchange. And I'll explain more about each program as here shortly. Um, and then we have Jolene Benham, who has worked with Tilrick for many, many, many years um, as an, a uh, uh, sign language interpreter. And she is also handling our TAP program now. So depending on who you're looking for or what you're looking for, you may work with me. You could work with Troy, Judy, or um, Jolene. Uh, 
And then Debbie Wright is our supervisor. She's also the, the assistant director for Topeka Independent Living Resource Center. Sorry, I've got a bit of a dry mouth, so if I take a drink, I apologize. Um, so jumping into the different programs, I'll kind of go through mine first. Um, the I Can Connect program is a joint project between the Helen Keller National Foundation for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing and Perkins School for the Blind, as well as the FCC. Um, it is actually titled um, the Deaf Blind Equipment Distribution Program. And that, um, in the state of Kansas, uh, we are the assessors, assistive technology for Kansans, um, have signed on to be the assessors for that program here in the state. Um, we do evaluations to determine what technology an individual may need. And the coolest part about this program is the fact that um, if an individual qualifies, they have to have both a hearing impairment and a vision impairment. And there is an income guideline as well. Um, then the technology that we evaluate the individual with, we can actually get to them for free, um, which is wonderful. Um, it The... Uh, <clears throat> the program is goes through us. Uh, basically, the process is the application comes in to me, along with uh, we do require uh, page one of the federal tax return for the previous year or proof of Social Security, SSI, SSDI, Social Security income. Um, and then that goes along with... Uh, certifying authority, which um, we used to require both an audiologist and a low vision specialist or, or vision doctor's signature. We've kind of relaxed that a little bit. The feds have allowed us to relax that. We now just require one signature. Um, and you can have your primary care doctor do it. You can have um, your low vision doctor do it. The types of technology and the purpose of the program is to provide high-end telecommunication equipment to individuals who want to access internet services. Um, this could be getting online, paying bills, um, getting online, doing Facebook, email, um, Skype calls, um, anything that is a high-end telecommunication. And we're looking at devices like iPads, and we're not talking about just the regular Airs. We can do the iPad Pro 12.9s. We've done computers. I'm behind me on the other side of my wall. I have an iMac 27-inch computer that is actually going out to a client. Um, we do iPhones. We've done Android phones, Android tablets. It's all based off of what the individual's needs are. Um, and this equipment is not something that, okay, you get it for a year or two, 
and then you have to give it back to us. This equipment actually belongs to the individual, which is wonderful. Um, we have had instances where individuals have passed away and the family calls us, hey, we don't know what to do with this. Well, the computer, iPad, whatever, that's yours. The video magnifiers, which we also do. We do both uh, DaVinci Pro. Um, we've done the Transformer. We do a lot of the Ruby XLHD, which are very small handhelds. Um, one of our new devices that we have now is a portable CCTV. It's called um, the Clover Book 2, which is really kind of cool. Um, it is a battery. It can be AC or battery powered. Um, the screen is about the size of a iPad Pro 12.9. And it has both distance and close-up functionality, which is kind of cool, and it's all touchscreen. Um, for a few of you out there, I think that this may be something that you guys want to look into, um, this device, because I, you know, rather than, like, the, the DaVinci Pro is nice, because it is a 24-inch. It actually, you know, has a relatively small footprint compared to what we're looking at, like the old uh, telesensory devices, um oh you know the merlins which the with the big xy trays and things things have gotten a lot lot smaller and footprints have decreased quite a bit uh the clover book does not have that's the only thing it doesn't have is a xy tray um you just kind of slide it around on the on the tray it's on but it is portable um so you can run it on a battery pack, which is built in, which is kind of nice. Um, you know, as I was saying, with the CCTVs, we have had some people pass away and they say, well, what do we do with it? You know, we give them the option if there's another family member in need that they could keep it. And we've had some people give it back to us. Um, and what we do is we recycle those um, and not in a way of sending it to the landfill. If it's in good working order, which most of these are, then we literally um, use them to give away again. So it's not like, you know, again, the equipment belongs to the consumer. There's, we try to um, go at least three years between equipment buys for an individual. So if an individual, say, got equipment in 2019, they're probably going to be calling us this year or the next year and say, hey, I'm having some issues. This isn't working. Now, if within that three-year period, if an individual's condition does change, they can always contact us and we'll work with them to modify the equipment, uh, whether they need you know, an additional piece or replacement of something for some reason. Um, we've worked with folks that unfortunately had equipment stolen. As long as they provide a police report, we'll replace that equipment at no cost. And that's the cool thing about our program is it's 100% no cost to the individual. Um, and then, of course, I am also the vocational rehabilitation assessor for uh, a couple of regions. I cover the Kansas City Metro and I cover the Northeast region and three counties in what is considered the Southeast region. 
and I work across the board um, with disabilities on that program. I've worked quite a bit with folks with vision. Obviously, uh, there are quite a few folks that are vision impaired that do want to go to work. And so we look to try to find the appropriate technology so that they can do that. Um, and then we do have cases where, unfortunately, a person may not qualify for ICANN or VR, but they're still needing equipment. And that's where Judy uh, Korbelik, who is my partner in crime, um, comes in and does our funding. And we work with different philanthropic organizations um, across the state and the country, not just here in Kansas, but across the state, uh, across the country. And we've done uh, cranial helmets for young children. We've done vehicle modifications. We've done, oh, um, technology for you know, persons with vision impairment, whether it be a magnif video magnifiers, desktop portables, different types of equipment. And then we also, you know, I mean, it's, it's across the board. Uh, another program that is our cousin that we still help with is, excuse me, the K-Loan program, which is the Kansas, uh, oh, what is it? Alternative Finance Program. I had to stop thinking on that one. And that's run by Jeanette Grew out of Parsons, Kansas. And the K-Loan program is a low-interest loan program for individuals that need assistive technology that <clears throat> the interest, there is an application process. We have to get bids for the equipment. We submit it to Jeanette. Um, and then basically that technology uh, belongs to the individual. It is a loan, you have to pay it back. The interest rate is still five and a half percent, which is a lot better than a credit card most times. Um, and basically, it's any type of technology that an individual would need, not just for employment, recreation, leisure. Um, we had a gentleman, believe it or not, there was a, a paraplegic who financed uh, a gun mount because he was an avid hunter. And so we were able to work with the K-Loan program and uh, get funding so that he could do that, um, which was a kind of a cool setup. Um, the family members also helped chip in and they were able to get a relatively small LED screen that with a specialized camera that actually looked through the scope. So rather than having to try to get up there to see through the scope, they're able to use a four or five, six inch um, LCD screen to see what was being seen through the scope so that he could uh, basically get on target and using sip and puff controls he was able to um, uh, use the armature unit to move the unit left right up down and then also pull the trigger um, I'm not saying that you guys need necessarily a <laughs> adaptive uh, rifle but that is out there um, then we have, of course, the key program at Kansas Equipment Exchange. 
And it's kind of a misnomer program. Um, it's a equipment program for individuals who need adaptive equipment. We're talking items such as hospital beds, scooters, power chairs, uh, rollator walkers, U-step, which are designed for people who have ALS. Um, most rollator walkers, you, you push down on the handles, they'll lock the wheels, whereas the U-step, you pull up and it unlocks the wheels so that you're able to control your steps a lot better. Um, toilets, uh, risers, shower chairs, um, items that were always in high demand, uh, such as bariatric devices, anything that's 350 plus, we're always looking for. Um, we do have criteria, you know, need to be in decent working order. Um, if they require batteries, that's, we always replace batteries and electronic devices. Um, and this also goes for video magnifiers. Um, I handle that part of the, of the key program with the mag video magnifiers. I do have a couple here in the office. Some of our other sites also have them. And again, our program is statewide. So if I have a device here that's in our system showing available, um, our folks out in Western Kansas, Karen Rasmussen or uh, Janie, and I apologize, Jamie is new to us. Um, I think her last name is Pearson. Um, they could look in the database, see what available equipment, and then go in, find my device, call me or email me. Hey, I see you've got this video magnifier. We need it. I'm going to box it up or uh, find out when they may have staff or maybe if Salina is coming through to drop something off. Because Salina also is our statewide loan program, and I'll explain a little more on that. Um, they can then uh, make arrangements to get it out to the, to the site and then to the individual at no cost. And the equipment becomes them, theirs until at such time they no longer need it. Or um, if the device for some reason, you know, we, we say, yeah, it's in good working order, we get it out there, something happens, the unit breaks down over time, then they can call us, we'll come out, pick it up, and if we have another unit, we'll replace it at no cost. Um, but usually on items like scooters, power chairs, um, hospital beds we do ask the individual you know to think about maintenance on those devices because they do require maintenance over time um, tires batteries and if they can afford to do it you know to save some money and and to take care of it as if it really was their own not just well i'm going to use it till it run, i run it in the ground and then call our program and get another one um, if folks can take care of it you know that's always wonderful but we do understand that not everybody can do that. Um, some items we do have waiting lists for. Um, and then some of the items that are uh, bariatric, like I said, we usually turn those into funding goals because bariatric devices are very, very hard for us to come by. Uh, once in a while, we'll get lucky, but you know we do have a lot of clients that are looking for the items that are designed for 350 plus, three, 300 plus 
uh, pound weight capacities on some devices. Um, and then we have Jolene Benham, who again, I said is our ASL interpreter for uh, Tilric, Topeka Independent Living Resource Center. But she also is our TAP specialist. And Jolene and I kind of work in conjunction. Um, we, she handles the application side, making sure all the documentation is there that is required. We do have two different programs through the TAP program now. Uh, we have the landline side, which, you know, will get you a landline phone. Um, it can be corded or cordless. Um, we've seen a, a decrease in this program because everybody is going to mobile devices. Um, but they are, you know, there's still a lot of really good equipment out there. We've lost some of the devices, such as uh, a few of the makers of the TTYs. And items such as that are, are kind of going by the wayside. Um, some of you may remember the Q90, uh, which was a TTY, but also could function as a voice carryover, a hearing carryover. Unfortunately, the makers stopped making it. Um, we have not, to my knowledge, not found a replacement at this point. Um, the Unifone's still out there. Um, and we... Obviously, on some of those, some of those more spe specialized devices, I work very closely with Stuart Jones, who is our TAP statewide coordinator. Um, Sheila Simmons is still our statewide coordinator for um, the ICANN VR uh, funding, and Dr. Sarah Sack is still the overall project manager through KU. Um, again, we do have five sites across the state. We have had quite a few staff members uh, that have been here since I was started. And I started with ATK in 07. Um, and I have to say thank you to Ann for that. Um, Ann happened to send me an email uh, well, actually, 06, I think. Um, yeah, it was in 06 when I started. Sorry. Um, sent me an email. Uh, I was between jobs, and she says, hey, this group called Assistive Technology for Kansans, they're looking for somebody. And uh, I was kind of between jobs at the time. And I took a chance, and they took a chance on me, and... Uh, I was with them from 06 to 07, left there in, 20, I want to say 2010, uh, the previous entity that was hosting uh, assistive technology for Kansans um, gave it up, which was Independent Saint Incorporated over in Lawrence, and Sheila kind of prodded my ex-boss, uh, Rosie Cooper, and said, hey, you guys ought to look at this. And I kind of prodded too when I found out. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I've been with them since 2010. In December of 2019, or September of 2019, September, October, 
um, we f- I found out that uh, the previous entity I was with, which was the Resource Center for Independent Living, RCIL, out of Osage City, was giving the pro- had uh, talked with HEK and they were giving the program up. Um, they thought it was time to to separate, which was fine. I mean, it was an amicable separation. Um, and in early, well, late November, we found out that Speak Independent Living had uh, applied to be the new access site. And uh, I went ahead and applied, obviously, and was lucky enough with uh, to get my position along with another staff member who um, has moved on to some other things. And so we do have some new staff that aren't quite as familiar with AT, but we're, they're all learning. We're all enjoying it. Um, and then, so Jolene does the TAP program, and we do have a mobile program as well, which uh, the primary purpose, again, is to provide adaptive mobile devices to individuals with disabilities across the board. And we... Uh, have a couple of Android devices that we're able to, through the TAP program, give out at no cost to an individual. Um, unfortunately, uh, due to iPhone's cost, it's just we can't find a vendor that we can get for the right price, unfortunately. Um, so we also offer uh, a $450 reimbursement rate for mobile technology. So if an individual wanted to purchase their own device, they're welcome to do that. We'll reimburse. Even if you are doing a rental or a lease, um, we'll still reimburse up to that $450 amount. There is, again, an application process. You do have to have it signed off by a certifying authority. Um, the Let me think here. Um, also, with the mobile technology program, we do have to have a copy of a bill stating, you know, showing that you have service. Now, we've had cases where uh, individuals on a family plan, as long as we can note, they can, the family can notate um, on the bill showing, hey, Susie Q has this number, then we're happy to utilize that. That's not a problem. Um, we've also had family members that, you know, will purchase the phone for the individual because obviously the individual doesn't have the funds to purchase the phone that they need, such as maybe an iPhone. Um, then we'll we're still reimburse as long as we can show that the phone was purchased for Susie Q. We're happy to do that. Um, Another part of the mobile technology program, and this is more geared towards individuals who have communication issues, um, traumatic brain injuries, or um, who are nonverbal, and that is providing um, iPads. We do the iPad Air, and we do the iPad Mini. Now, on the iPad Mini, there is a 49, I believe it's $49 copay. So you're getting a, a $400, $500 iPad 
for $49, which isn't bad. Um, or you can do the regular iPad at no cost. Um, and again, we do on that app, on that part of the application, there is a specific question asking for documentation on why the individual needs the iPad versus a phone. Why are they not able to utilize a standard phone? And again, this could be the fact that they are a paraplegic or quadriplegic, um, very poor hand coordination, um, ALS, things like that, that are going to prevent somebody from pressing uh, a regular number. Now, obviously with um, some of the uh, updates with device, with software like Siri, Bixby, which is the Android equivalent, or okay, Google, um, these devices are, you know, you can set them to where they'll auto answer, they'll go right to your speakerphone, and you can just have a regular conversation. Um, and again, getting numbers out, you don't have to have everybody programmed in. If you know the number you want to dial, you say, you know, hey, whatever program, or okay, Google. Um, and then basically, <coughs> excuse me, that uh, device, you can basically, it will then at that point dial what you're looking for. Um, now, is it 100% effective? No. We've had some folks, unfortunately, that have extremely dysarthic or hard to understand speech. And some programs, just no matter how hard you try, it just really, it struggles. Um, another program that we have, actually, there's two other projects that we have right now that uh, I almost forgot about. I would have been in trouble. One of them is called the Going Home Program. And it, this is a deinstitutionalization program for individuals who are in a nursing facility but wish to return to the community. And this is, was uh, brought on by the COVID pandemic because right now we're seeing a lot of nursing facilities struggling with COVID. And the primary is to make sure that an individual, if they don't have COVID, they're in a nursing facility, get them out into the community. And we work across um, a lot of different uh, programs to get that individual out into the community and into their own home independent. Um, Tilrick is one of them. We do work with the, J with the AAA um, out of Wichita. I apologize. I don't know exactly who all is spearheading it. I know Sheila deals with that program more than I do. And Judy also is one of the staff working with the Going Home program. And she is, she's more on the tech side. Um, we have several devices that we are trying to get individuals so they can remain independent and be socialized. We're looking at iPads, we have Alexa, we have uh, the Facebook portals. Um, we also have training on, on those devices that we have 
very meticulously worked with individuals, not just vision, but across the gambit as far as disabilities. The other program that I am not directly involved with, I've been asked to be on a few panels and, and to discuss options, is we have an accessible gaming project that we're working with. And this is a project that we have teamed up with the Christopher Reeves Foundation. So it is primarily working with individuals with, excuse me, um, spinal cord injuries. But we are looking for folks across the board. So, and we have three sites that are participating in this. We have uh, Wichita, Sol uh, see, Wichita, Salina, and Parsons are the three count are the three regions. Um, this is a project. It's not a program yet. We're not sure if it will become a program, but it's a way for some data collection to see how, what modifications, you know, uh, we've got different gaming systems, different modifications for controllers. Um, we've got switch activations that will do a myriad of things. The Xbox, uh, which is a Microsoft product, I have to give them kudos. They were ahead of the curve and came out with a really awesome connector um, that is an accessible gaming unit that you can then run myriads of different types of switches and uh, so that an individual can be gaming with their peers or with family members. Um, we've worked with young children that are working, you know, using some of the... Uh, Co uh, options. One of them is called co-player, where one family member may be helping do certain things with that the controller, the accessible controller, unfortunately won't do. Um, and then the individual that is actually disabled, they are actually uh, doing ninety-five percent of the work with the accessible controllers. You know, that may be that 5% that the individual is not able to do, and that's where co-player comes in, which is kind of cool. Um, I'm not sure if they call it, it's either co-player or co-pilot. It may be co-pilot. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, adaptations that are being built into uh, the new gaming systems, uh, including accommodations for people with vision impairments, um, for a while, I was actually Xbox gaming, and they had their own built-in um, magnifier. And I've been told that some of the more turn-based programs or, or games, um, like Final Fantasy, where there's text being on the screen, there's a built-in narrator that will actually read that to you now, which I think is kind of cool. So, you know, the, com the, the companies are trying to do as much full inclusion as possible. Um, we just met with another group, and I'm trying to I want to say it was called, a I believe it was Able Gamers. I may be mistaken. But we just had a meeting with them, and they have some additional switch adaptations that they're making and willing to give out to individuals for nothing.
which is kind of cool. They can't give away the game systems like the Xbox or the PS5, but they do have controllers, things like that. They can give away that are modified, which is kind of cool. Um, the biggest challenge for us, at least in my region, has been the fact that we are doing no contact pretty much. Um, so we're working with Zoom. Um, we're working with uh, JAWS Tandem, TeamViewer, um, Teams, to work with individuals to get the training across remotely. And we're actually getting some uh, additional iPads that we will have set up so that we can send out as demo devices, um, specifically in our region. But part of that will have Zoom installed, we'll have it set up so that if I need to call, make a Zoom call to a client or they are having issues, they can Zoom in to me. Um, obviously, give me a heads up that you're calling me because I have to join the meeting. Um, but that is a way that we're working uh, through remote distance to try to assist the individual. Um, also, you know, obviously FaceTime through Apple products, we're working uh, through those as well so that individuals are able to, to get the training that they need. Um, and we work across the board as far as the technology, both Windows, Mac. Um, I have kind of a, a horror slash awesome story. Um, a young man I started working with this summer um, who was getting ready to go to college. Um, completely blind, very, very intelligent. Uh, we worked with folk rehab. And this is the reason I say it's kind of a horror story is they were working with folk rehab. We did the assessment. And unfortunately, um, you know, people say, oh, there's a chip shortage for computers and for electronics and for vehicles. That is true. That is not a lie. I have seen costs on computers that a year ago, two years ago, before, prior to the pandemic, were in the low to middle, you know, uh, thousand fifteen hundred i've seen them go up to about two thousand as a starting price um you know and these are not gaming computers whether you have tons of graphics memory and tons of chip uh you know memory as far as ram but we're talking systems that are like running 16 gigs of RAM and running the onboard graphics of like a Radeon card. Um, I've seen the costs go up. And unfortunately, it took a good four months for the individual to get the computer they were wanting. And even the one that had been spec'd out, they were actually saying it was going to be almost eight eight months at least due to the fact that uh, we were looking at a system that had 64 gigs of RAM because of 
the major the individual was going into, they needed a lot of processing power. And so what we opted to do was to get a computer that had 32 gigs of RAM in it and added the additional 32 gigs of RAM just so that we could get the technology to the individual. Um, so know that, um, you know, you can still go to Best Buy, Walmart, you know, big box stores, find what you're looking for. But on the consumer side, know that if you're looking for uh, computers with more graphics memory or larger amounts of RAM, especially if you're running a lot of assistive technology, um, for instance, um, a lot of you folks are familiar with either ZoomText or JAWS. There's a product out that is called Fusion. And Fusion actually, I, I really like the program because it is a growth program. Um, what do I mean by that? Okay, so say you get uh, diagnosed with mac de macular degeneration or diabetic retinopathy. So your vision starting to decrease. You're going to need video magnification, which in the past would have been just Zoom text or Magic or Dolphin. You know, there's multiple programs out there. Um, but as your vision decreases, you may start looking at learning um, a text-to-speech program, such as JAWS or GW, what used to be GW Micro, uh, Window Eyes. Or again, another product through Dolphin, or there's there's a myriad of programs out there, or NVDA. Um, the nice thing about Fusion is it provides full functionality, not just of Zoom text, but also of JAWS from a level where you're strictly using Zoom text. No, magnification or new no audio to zoom text with audio which it does use the eloquence and the sappy fives which have gotten a lot better to maybe uh jaws and zoom text to strictly jaws so it provides the gambit uh from start what i and i hate to say this like this start to finish from beginning a, a vision disability to a totally blind individual. Now, they are still offering ZoomText strictly, JAWS still strictly, um, SMA, service and maintenance agreement, so you get the next two versions. Um, and again, you know, that's also technology under ICANN that we can get for people if they qualify. Um, and I know I'm starting to run low. I've got about, a, this one's till 1020. Am I correct, Mr. Byington? 1030, I believe is what we have on. 1030, okay. Okay, I wanted to make sure I did, I, I was trying to make sure if folks had questions. Um, I wanted to, you know, go ahead and open the floor up if that was possible. Um and answer any questions for you guys. Um, I'm open to any questions at this point. Michael, you were talking about a program 
that has initials and I can't I couldn't understand what it was let me go back to my um, there's um, the going home huh something love something love there's going home no it was before those there's a the key K-Loan yeah that one what is that K-Loan is a sister program to us that offers uh, low, fine, uh, low interest, low interest loans. Sorry, I had to stop and think there for people who need assistive technology and they can't out of pocket the technology, but they can make payments. And rather than saying going to the bank, getting a credit card, which is going to charge you, you know, 25% interest. The K-Loan program is 5.5%. Flat rate, 5.5%. Where do they apply for that? Well, there's a couple of ways they can do that. One, they can contact their local AT site, and we are happy to uh, send them the application, whether it is electronic or hard copy, or they can go to k-loan, L-O-A-N.net, and you can actually fill the application out online. They have a, what I call a quick form that starts the process. And then Jeanette will contact the individual. There are requirements. We have to have three months bank statements and a copy of social security card and identification. And the payments are automatic debits. So once you get approved, okay, let me stop, go back a little bit. So the whole process, it is a loan. So at any point, the individual can say, no, I can't do this and back out. They are not required. Up until the point that they sign the paperwork and the check gets cut for the technology, they can say, hold the phone. I don't want to do this. Now, I won't lie. A lot of times what I recommend to people is let's look at philanthropic organizations, see what kind of funding is out there for what they're looking for, and then use K-Loan as a last resort to fund maybe that last I don't know, maybe 10%. Say you're going after a video magnifier, say it's $3,000. We go after some philanthropic funds, we get um, 2,800. Now that leaves 200, but that's still too steep for the individual. Well, then we can work with K-Loan and get that remaining 200 broke down into more affordable financing so an individual can get the technology just to kind of give you an example jaws i had a client i worked with they needed to upgrade their jaws and they wanted to get sma so they could do it so that's about 1400 at the time now this is several years ago i'll be honest it's been a little bit since i looked at the price for jaws um because of what i do i don't have to I'm not worried about price tags when I work with folks most times. Um, 
obviously if they are, you know, I'm, I am too, but with the ICANN, that's a separate program and that's fully funded. Voc rehab is generally fully funded. Um, but basically the individual is making payments of about $25 a month to pay that off that 1400. Now they went strictly through, uh, K loan, which is great. So, you know, you can go strictly through the K loan program or you can go through uh, Judy through our philanthropic private public and private found funding and then hook into uh, K-Loan, or you can do 100% K-Loan. Now, one thing I do want to acknowledge, um, it used to be K-Loan would do what they called a bridge loan, um, which was kind of done in conjunction with the TAP program, where an individual if they were approved for TAP and wanted to purchase a phone that wasn't in the TAP program, um, i.e. say an iPhone 13, you're looking about 1300 for one. Um, K-Loan and TAP had kind of made an agreement at one point where as long as K-Loan had the approval letter for uh, TAP, they would front the 350 or whatever the amount was to get the phone initially, and then TAP would simply cut them a, let, a check direct. So basically, it was just a temporary loan, if that makes, makes sense, with X amount of dollars on top of it as kind of a service fee, if that makes sense. Unfortunately, TAP and K-Loan cannot do that any longer. So if an individual wanted to come to me and say they wanted the Blind Shell, uh, the Blind Shell 2, which I know is a kind of a unique phone, um, I'm actually working on trying to get a demo of one of those. Um, I'm trying to get some different options for low vision cell phones in. Um, to play with and see how they work. Um, I had an IRA unit with the uh, Horizons uh, headgear, the, the glasses, which they have done away with. And now they're just using the app on the phone. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of different funding options out there for somebody if they want to do it. It does take some legwork. We do work with the individual as much as we can to help find the different funding sources out there. Um, you know, it's always nice. Sometimes we come across a funding source that we, that the individual knows of that we've never heard of. And we'll track that down. We have um, a resource library or, and it's an internal for our agency, which we also do share across uh the board with all of our other sites uh we're constantly in contact because due to covid we've not been meeting in person for our quarterly meetings we've been uh we had a, a sessions here for a while that were strictly for our at staff that were called at and caffeine um which were ways for 
our AT staff from across the state to get together. Um, we did bring in staff from um, Sprint, who is now the um, carrier for the relay program. So they were involved. Uh, we had folks from the going home program um, come in and, and, you know, if they had questions about our programs, they could ask or if they had, you know, work, meet with staff if we had uh, cases that were having some difficulty, um, they could bounce the ideas off of all of the staff. And it wasn't required, but a lot of the staff did attend. So it was a way for us to kind of bounce ideas off of one another, funding options, different ways of doing things. Um, and we're going back to those. So, but know that, you know, we are at a, a extremely diminished capacity due to pandemic situation, but we will work with the individual as best we can. Well, the first thing I need to do is uh, explain to people that we had a bit of a hassle getting started this morning because about uh, five minutes before the, uh, the convention was supposed to start, uh, Ann's computer went down, uh, found out it was a problem with our range uh, extender, and all I had to do was reboot it. So she's now back on her system. But uh, with all that rattledness and her having to come down and use my computer, uh, we got into a uh, situation where I was actually supposed to get to introduce Mr. McCary, and and quite understandably went past that. I just want to say that uh, Mr. McCary is someone that we have had the pleasure of being able to mentor. Uh, the first time I met him was when he was, a, I think, a junior or senior in high school at the Kansas State School for the Blind. 93. <laughs> yes. I was a junior. And... Uh, uh, I am so proud of all of the information he has and all of the development of this program. KABVI did work in the early days of getting the assistive technology for Kansas program up and started here. We were on the original advisory committee, worked with uh, Dr. Chuck Spillman, as well as uh, Dr. Sarah Sack on the program's beginnings and so on. And I just want to take a minute to talk about how proud I am to have gotten to watch this gentleman's development over many years. Now, my question for him is, Michael, you have filled our heads with so much information that I'm sure even people younger and sharper than I am are going to have some of it run out our ears or do something where we're just not going to remember all that. And you've given us a lot of different ways to contact a lot of different people. If I'm putting a summary of how to re-ask or get this information or get to you, would the best things to put in be the uh, statewide 800 number, your local number, and your email, or is there some other central contact that we should list in the news as a follow-up to your presentation? I would strongly recommend our 800 number, which is 1-800-526-3648. And that does, if you uh, know your phone letters, spell out 1-800-CAN, that's K-A-N, as in Kansas, do it, D-O-I-T. And even if uh, you're trying to get a hold of me on the 800 number, 
uh, say you're in one of our outlying areas like Atchison or Kansas City Metro, um, that 800 number will go to our Parsons AT site. And uh, there's a couple of staff down there. There's Ken and I want to say Diane or Diana who answer um, any of, if you're calling from a cell phone and you dial that 800 number, it's going to route you to Parsons automatically. Unfortunately, it's supposed to be a smart dialing system, but with the explosion of all the new uh, prefixes for uh, cell phones, it just can't keep up. So that automatically uh, drops to... Uh, no, no. Go ahead, Michael. That automatically drops uh, to the Parsons site, and then they will give you um, our contact numbers or emails, whatever your choice is. Um, if you're in the Northeast region, in the area that I specified. Um, now, also, we have a website that is very, very wonderful. And on that website, which is www dot atk dot ku dot edu that site also has on our contact page which is very easily found um the link has each access site contact information as well as not just phone numbers for local and the 800 but also a contact email for each site. So no matter, you know, if you can access internet and get to the atk.ku.edu website, then you can go to contact us and that will uh, allow you to get to our program. Now, one other piece I do want to talk about, and I almost forgot, was our statewide loan program because it's really, really cool. We have a lending library in Salina, and there is an application you have to fill out and submit, but again, you can contact your local AT specialist. We'll help get the application to you. We'll help fill it out. We'll help determine what tech you want, um, and you can try this equipment for up to four weeks. There are some devices that are higher demand than others. In fact, we actually have an L-Braille with a Focus 40 in our loan system. Um, I believe we have a Clover book in the loan system. So if somebody wanted to try those, they could try them for four weeks at no cost. We'll, they UPS ship them to you. When the four weeks is up, they'll call you and say, hey, we're sending a call tag. All you have to do is repack the device in the box it came in. There is a questionnaire on the app, on the paperwork that comes with it. Please fill it out. That helps us to determine what technology we need to be making sure we have in that loan system. Um, and then basically, once you box it back up, FedEx, UPS comes and gets it or USPS and away it goes. No cost to you. And it gives you the opportunity to try that technology. Again, some technology is higher demand than others. So unfortunately, there are waiting lists for some devices. Michael, um, my iPad died, and 
I'm not using my computer anymore, and I don't know how long it's been since I got a phone. Would I be eligible for a new iPad? Not through the TAP program. The TAP program is more designed for individuals with traumatic brain injuries and individuals who are nonverbal. Okay. Now, we could obviously work with you through philanthropic organizations uh, to help get funding and the K-Loan program. Okay. And obviously, we would be very happy to do that. If, if you know, you and I had talked earlier, is there a way sometime you said you thought my sound card on my computer... Kathy, can we... Off? Yeah. I'll call you later. Thank you. You mentioned you mentioned hospital beds. Michael. Yes. Yes. I know somebody who desperately needs one. Where would they call? Okay. They need to contact. Now, are they? What area are they in? They're in Topeka. Topeka. Okay. So they would just call our local number here, which is seven eight five two three three. Four five seven two again seven eight five two three three four five seven two and ask for Troy T R O Y Purvis P U R V I S or the key specialist and we will definitely uh, do our best. I know right now I believe we are low on hospital beds ourselves. Right. Um, you know, a lot of folks, uh, something that we are seeing is a lot of folks who are unfortunately coming down with COVID are choosing to try to return home as soon as they can. And that may still require the uh, need for um, uh, being uh, in a hospital bed so they can be elevated and things like that for short periods. Now, one other thing that I do want to mention with that and make sure everybody understands, all of our equipment that comes into our, excuse me, into our program is sanitized. Um, we've got some specialized cleaner that does work on COVID. We also, if it's possible to UV the device, uh, we do have a UV cabinet. So, uh, for instance, uh, Mr. Byington, if you came in and wanted to look at uh, a tap phone, we would do the demonstration. After you left, no disrespect to you, first thing I'm going to do is take both the phones or whatever phones we worked with, I'm going to go put them in our UV cabinet and run a cycle just to try to ensure that the next person that comes in is going to be okay to utilize them. We also do disinfect them before we UV them, just as a secondary, you know. We do multiple levels of sanitation, and it's constant. Um, that is the one thing I do want to say. If an individual, say, wanted to come into us for a TAP demonstration, at this point, we just went back to this where we are only doing visitors by appointment only and only in certain cases. Other than that, our facility is locked. Um, so you can't just drop by and say, oh, I was in the neighborhood, unfortunately. 
Um, but if we know in advance you're coming in for, say, a demo of a video magnifier or a demo for the tap phone, you know, we'll schedule it to where staff at our front desk know that you're coming in and that, you know, there's, we're trying to also ensure that because our, our lead agency also is an FMS or fiscal management service, that we don't have a bunch of people piling up at the door. Um, we get, we're trying to schedule folks so that there's not a lot of interaction. And, and if there is, folks are at least six foot apart. You know, we're covering all of our bases as much as we can on the COVID side. Uh, Carolyn has a question. Carolyn Thomason. Ah, Miss Thomas. Hello. Hi there, Michael. You sure have a lot of information. Um, I really enjoyed your presentation. Um, as a uh, KABVI uh, member and also a volunteer, uh, where I help other people <clears throat> in their homes when, when I'm able to get into them. And I run into the same thing that you have where uh, because of COVID, we can't always go now. Yes. Particularly right now. Um, but one of the things that we have identified is a need for possibly a user's group. And we'll be discussing that more tomorrow. Um, but I was wondering, in all your Zoom meetings, do you have anything like that, is, um, a user's group already? That we do we do not. Um, we work more on a one-on-one -on -one basis, although I could definitely see um, a, uh, pardon me here, a uh, potential for that. Um, especially, you know, I mean, uh, every time we turn around, there, there's a new variant popping out. And until at such time that, you know, it either burns itself out or, mm -hmm. or, you know, we, they come up with a solution. I mean, you know, uh, I know I, I would definitely be interested. Um, and the thing of it is, is I'm still learning. I will always be learning. And that's, I think, from a standpoint of a user's group where we can bounce stuff off of each other. Exactly. I think that would be wonderful because there's probably some things, you're probably a little more fluent with iPad than I am. Yeah. iPad well, and voiceover. iPads and iPhones, of course. Um, you know, whereas I've worked, you know, I've done a lot of training with voiceover for Mac with iMac and, and Mac Air, MacBook, which is definitely different than iOS, which is, you know, different your iPhone, iPad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that that would be a wonderful idea. Um, you know, uh, I may have to see if I can uh, jump on tomorrow for that, because I would love to, to discuss that a little further. As, as for myself, necessarily, not as an assistive technology for Kansans representative. 
um, anything that, you know, if we decided we want, you guys wanted to do that and, you know, work with ATK, we would definitely have to run that through appropriate channels. I, I'm not allowed to make decisions such as that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would, I would love to discuss that further, some ideas. I want to uh, report to the membership that without Michael on, I think it was Tuesday, I wouldn't have been able to send out a program for the convention because my computer decided that all documents in Microsoft Word stayed in Microsoft Word and they couldn't be worked on because when I got to them, JAWS crashed out and of course I can't see the screen so I couldn't do anything with them. And thanks to Michael's help, we survived that hurdle and really Michael, you, you have no idea how beneficial that is in a crunch situation like I seem to find myself in when these sorts of things happen. So thank you very much. Thank you for your presentation. I actually took notes on this one, so <laughs> I can maybe help Michael with his article. So we are very glad to have you and stay tuned. Oh, and, if, and if I can provide any additional information after this, um, please let me know. I'm happy to provide any additional information in writing, you know, via email or phone conversation. Okay. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. Thank you all for having me and uh, couldn't see a lot of you, but glad to know you guys are still around and uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. Uh, door prize people, do we have a door prize scheduled yet? Yes, we do. Bob, are you on? I'm sorry. Give me a number, 1 to 42. All right. Alexa, generate a random number between 1 and 42. Here's a number between 1 and 42. It's 1. Oh, my. It's 1. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Hazel Beal from out in Colorado. All right. Hazel, that was that was certainly random. <laughs> yeah, right. okay, Hazel is a long, long time member of KABBI, and I believe that she was at the uh, Kansas State School for the Blind with my mother. But she. What did still, she win? Twenty five dollar uh, Mastercard from Michael Advocates from Biden Advocacy Consulting of Kansas. Yes. Okay. All right. Do we have uh, Kelly Mayer and Deb Tegadoff on this panel? We sure do. Hello, everyone. All right. Um, I've known Deb since, oh, my goodness, I think I got Cleo, and that was three dogs ago, four dogs ago. I don't know. I've known her for a long time. Kelly is new to KSDS. She's the CEO, and her husband, Adam, works in their fundraising area and we are concerned about how KSDS Kansas assistance dogs has managed with COVID and uh, what impact that's had on funding and getting puppies and all of that good stuff. So Kelly, are you going to speak first? Sure, absolutely. Um, so first, thank you all for letting us come and be a panelist. We appreciate you inviting us back again. And we always enjoy 
um, getting to come and chat and um, share about KSDS and network with those individuals that we can help and that can help spread the good news about KSDS. Um, so our typical goal is to produce um, about 24 dogs a year. We say that because we have eight um, ADA accessible duplexes that our students can come to campus and stay in when they're getting a dog. And we do three classes a year. So that's the ultimate goal. We haven't been able to reach that goal uh, recently, um, but COVID has also affected that in several different areas. Um, one, obviously we weren't able to gather um, together as much as we normally would hope to. So our classes became very short, um, smaller groups. So Deb as our guide dog instructor would have one guide dog here and work with them. Um, and maybe if, if we were feeling risky, I guess is a better word, we, she might bring two on. Um, and we would be in masks the whole time and um, working with them in the buildings. And then obviously they would go out on routes and those kind of things. So uh, the amount of people that we've been able to bring into campus has been a lot lower than what we normally do. Uh, we were unable to do graduations. We normally bring uh, the puppy raisers back and people from the community and other supporters drive in and we do a nice celebration where we get to announce the teams and, um, and unfortunately we were unable to do those so we were just doing social media highlights of those individuals um, and then this last year we were able to bring whoever could from those graduating teams back um, we didn't have as high of a, a turnout because also we were still concerned with some of the COVID restrictions there so um, as far as bringing people to campus, that has been affected with graduation. We also have puppies that are on campus, so we need to turn them out and we need to bring them back into campus so that they could do what we call go to college where they do their formal training. And so with that, they were very limited. And then we had to do our trainings and facilitation orientation of our puppy raisers online via Zoom. Um, so there were a lot of times the staff would put a puppy in the kennel outside five minutes before they were coming around the corner, um, the person would pull in and get the dog and bring them um, into their vehicle to, to head home. And so we'd wave at each other from, from afar. Um, so that kind of changed the way that we did some of our processes as we had puppies here and needing to get out and dogs coming back. Um, as far as being able to continue what we're doing, we have uh, luck, we are a lucky, lucky organization that we were able to get some funding. And we have amazing supporters that have been able to support us through the difficult times. And so uh, that way, way we were able to keep our doors open, um, but we were doing things a little differently than what we had when COVID, COVID was at its height. Um, for example, Deb was taking dogs home. <laughs> they were living with me. <laughs> yeah, living with her at her, at, at her own home, doing training there um, out and about. And so uh, we basically shut down campus for a little while. Uh, is that Mr. Journey in the picture over there, Michael? <laughs> it is. I went in and got him off the couch to come in because I knew he'd recognize your voices. Oh, <laughs> he's so sweet. <laughs> he's a fun one. Uh, sorry to interrupt where we were, but we, uh, we had um, our trainers all working from home and doing remote work. Um, so contacting graduates and follow-ups and all of those kind of things remotely, uh, doing Zoom calls as well. And then also they were doing all of the training in their own uh, spaces. And so if somebody needed to come in that we would work together to make sure that they weren't overlapping and didn't have multiple people on in the facilities at the same time when that COVID was at its heightened time period. 
Um, since returning back, we've done things obviously a little differently. We clean, uh, deep clean all the time, making sure that all our facilities are well kept and uh, we can do our due diligence in terms of keeping as much um, germs and things away from our campus and making sure our dogs and staff are good. Um, as far as when we look at our breeding and being able to put more dogs into our program, typically what normally happens is we are accredited through Assistance Dogs International, which gives us the ability to have the American Breeding Cooperative, which is now turned into the International Breeding Cooperative, so the IBC. So IBC gives us the ability to say, hey, other school, we have this dog and it, we think that they would be a good fit if that's a male or a female um, to go up to your school um, and do that breeding and so or for them to come to us. So obviously in heightened times, we were unable to do a lot of those traveling. Um, so we did more of AI with either shipped in or chilled semen. And so um, our ability to transport those dogs was limited. So that impacted our breeding where we needed to be really strategic on who we were breeding, when we were breeding, I mean, the dogs that we were able to to get produced out. So uh, when looking at that, it was, we saw a little bit of a dip, but it wasn't as, as bad as some other schools. Um, a lot of the, we worked with partnerships from the ADI schools and seeing what they were doing and what best practices they had. And of that, uh, some schools completely shut down. They stopped being able to produce dogs at all. Um, being able to train dogs, if dogs were in their program, they tried to get those out. Um, and then they completely just shut the shut the doors for a while. So we had other students from other schools reach out to us and say, hey, can you train our dogs? Um, because we, we just, our school isn't training right now. And unfortunately, we aren't able to help accommodate that because we already had our own dogs that we were trying to train um, as well. So we saw that make an impact in the community and the overall greater good. So we were trying to do our part and stay open to keep those um, numbers being able to still produce those dogs as we came forward. Deb, can you think of other things that we did or if there's, am I missing anything with? Yeah, training at home with all of us taking our dogs at home, their training was a little bit different than we do here on campus. Um, I live out in the country, so we did a lot of country walk, you know, and things like that, and we'd come to town to work street routes when we know, knew that there weren't as much pe many people out and about so that we could keep that training going. We did a lot of sending out like le lectures ahead of time to the graduates uh, so they could read through those before we did the Zoom meetings with them. Um, you know, change some things up like that that we didn't always normally do. They had the list of um, all of their commands and the sequences that they use them in. We tried to send that out ahead of time and found that's a great advantage. So we, we've learned new things that we can continue and improve our training with as we go along. Also, follow-up has been mostly by Zoom and phone calls, but people are really great to get someone to follow them on route or in their homes doing different things to send us videos so that we can see that the dogs are still working and, and doing what they, they should be doing. Um, the biggest complaint I think that we have had is everybody's just like you all and us can't get out and about as much as we would like to. So coming up with inventive ways to keep the dogs um, from being bored when they're at home. Um, but once again, we've reached out to other schools and, and combined ideas to uh, make that happen. 
Do you also want to chat about how the impact we've seen on our puppies coming in and like their social Right. Puppy socialization has been tougher too because people aren't able to get the puppies out and about to um, visit the stores and, and places that they normally go. So when we call the dogs back in like at 18 months, we're seeing that some of them aren't as well versed in some of those skills that we um, usually see them coming in with. So uh, it's not that they're not trainable. It's just that it's going to take more work on our part to make that um, come about. And maturity is a lot of it too. We will see them matured in the next six to nine months while we have them here training. And uh, we'll keep moving on with that. Um, We do use Topeka Correctional Facility and they shut down for a while. So we brought all of our dogs home and we're not able to have the girls um, help us work with that training. Another reason that we take the dogs home because we didn't want them to just be sitting in the kennels all day. Um, But we have been able to get the dogs back down and have them help us out with that part. Um, When we go out training, we do wear our mask just to be safe because when we bring people in, we want to make sure that um, we're as safe as we can be when they're here. I think the other piece that Deb had kind of hit on, but it also has changed a little bit for us is we, when she's saying it's taking longer for them to come back and mature when they're here, that also means it's taking us longer to be able to train. So our trainers have to have more dedicated time to those dogs as they're coming back to KSDS. And so it's taking a little longer for them to be able to get to that graduation rate or date, which is is fine. And, And we definitely want to, put in the work that needs to be there and want to produce those quality dogs. Uh, the concern that that causes is that has made our wait list become a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we were probably, when somebody applies for a dog, we're about three years out, um, if not a little more now, because we've just haven't been able to produce them as quickly as we wanted and um, to get them out to all of those individuals as we go. Well, actually, uh I'm the one right now with COVID still going on who spends the most time in our KABVI office because we are still largely shut down uh, much like everybody else is because of the pandemic. But I get a lot of people who ask about guide dog training and say, well, I would rather come to a uh, facility in Kansas, but, uh, when they hear about that three-year wait list, which I understand you can't help, uh, they begin to say, well, maybe we should check out some programs located elsewhere. And so I have uh, applications and referrals and so on to those. But I guess what I would ask you is if somebody is in need of a guide dog and, and doesn't want to brave that waiting list, are there any schools that you refer them to that uh, – have been able because of their larger size or whatever to uh, respond more quickly to uh, applicants. And I know everybody is backlogged right now. But. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody is backlogged right now. Um, everyone that I have talked to has been, you know, slower on their wait list strictly because of the COVID and not being able to, I mean, some of the schools are still shut down. They aren't open back up yet. And so um, I'm sure, Michael, if they call the bigger schools like Leader Dog that, you know, they may have um, that capability, but the ones close around, um, 
are still in the same boat that we are. We always, um, they, we always refer people to Assistance Dogs International. And if you go to their website, there's an area where, that's called Members, and you can click down, and it shows Members Search. And if you click um, Guide Dog and then click Kansas, it'll show you all of the schools within ADI that service somebody that was in Kansas. So it could show you a school down in Texas, a school in California, and then it gives you contact information. So you can call those individuals and say, hey, what's your wait list look like? What does that look like for putting in an application? Uh, I, one thing I should have mentioned that we haven't, I haven't mentioned is we do have some exciting things coming up that um, hopefully we're hoping will impact um, that w- wait list and be able to make a a bigger dent and we can get dogs out sooner and get more dogs. Uh, We, two different opportunities. One, we have hired two new trainers. Um, They are currently as an apprentice trainer under Deb and Annette, and they are working through each one of our programs. So they will be well-versed in all of them. Um, So for example, if it's not going to happen, knock on wood, but if Deb, Deb was out for a month and we still needed to work on training those guide dogs, then they can step in and train those dogs as well. So the more trainers we have on staff, hopefully the more dogs that we can produce to be able to work with all of those dogs that are here and be able to put out more dogs at a time. Uh, the other thing that we are doing is I had mentioned the ABC and the IBC International Breeding Cooperative. Um, we have been selected to be a member of the IBC, which means we're shipping some dogs overseas. So we had our first dog probably a few months ago, probably six or seven yeah. or um, go over to Ireland. And so when she goes over there, that means when they have a breeder that is um, of good quality, they'll bring her back over to the U.S. and then KSDS will get that um, breeding stock. So that's giving us more ability to have more ladies that we can breed that will be able to produce more puppies. The more puppies we have, the more we have to work with in the training staff and we can hopefully produce more dogs to get um, more dogs out to those graduates that are in need. The other struggle, I guess, we have, um, we prioritize somebody who has already had one of our dogs. Um, so, for example, Anne has had a dog with us, and her dog is getting ready to retire. Um, and she says, hey, Deb, I think it's about time we need to retire this this dog, and what's my successor dog look like, meaning what's my next dog look like? Um, so, Anne has known what it's like to have a guide dog and the independence that that dog can give you. Um, For example, Joe, who has never had a dog with us, um, is getting along okay. Um, But if Anne then loses that dog and is not able to work any longer, then she loses that independence. So we prioritize uh, those graduates who already have a dog with us and we move them to to the top of the list. And we've Currently, COVID, through COVID, Deb has been placing with all of our successors, which we're glad and happy that we can do that and that they want to come back. But that also affects our wait list in terms of those new applicants who are just looking for a dog to, to come into. So um, sometimes that pushes those individuals a little bit lower just because we want to make sure that the people who already know how to work with the dog and know how um, that training works and the independence that they gain, we want to be able to stand behind our product and serve those individuals well as and moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about your funding sources and um, what uh, impact COVID has had on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we have no state and federal funding. And so we are run off of donations just like 
um, people like you and I that choose to donate to KSDS and think it's a good cause. And so we get those mon- that money through uh, monthly donations. If that's a, somebody has set up an ACA, a- ACH and want to continue um, a monthly thing or people send in checks. Uh, we do estates. Um, if somebody has passed away and they gift us that money, then that's, that's also a big piece of what helps us um, move along as well. And then we also apply for grants. Um, and then we have a fundraiser who goes out and tries to look for new funding sources and those kind of things. So um, our grants, we try to look at what is really going to be able to help us and where do we fit in terms of either team trainings or do we have a big project that's coming up. So for example, right now we hired two new trainers uh, but we don't have an office for them. <laughs> so um, our grant writer has been looking for funding to be able to um, build those offices and make sure that we have a good space for them moving forward. Uh, through COVID, we did see that our donations went down and that we were not, um, I guess, at the top of everyone's forefront of their minds because they're, you know, when you're maybe you're working an hourly position and you don't get as much as many hours, then you don't have as much to be able to give back. And so uh, we saw that decrease. And so we were able to apply for the small business loans. Um, and we were approved for two of those. So that really helped us be able to uh, stay open during that time and continue to pay our staff. Uh, the board felt it was very important that we, obviously we have dogs here and we want those dogs to be produced. And so we wanna be able to make sure our staff is well taken care of and that we didn't want the funding or COVID to cause any issues in terms of losing any staff members or being unable to afford the paychecks or keeping the lights on, those kind of things. And so we've worked hard to find uh, some of those funding sources. So during COVID, we were reaching out to individuals and, you know, do you do you have any extra funds? Or is there things that we can work for? Or is there different opportunities that your grants go towards um, to make sure that we were able to really to keep those doors open and keep that funding coming in. Uh, we also have a continual donation from our graduates. Um, Hill Science Diet provides their food. And so the, not the graduates food, I should say the dog food that <laughs> comes straight to their door. Um, and to do that, Hills also felt like it was important that the graduates be able to donate back to us. So um, the graduates have a monthly fee that they donate back to KSDS in support of KSDS and getting that dog food uh, shipped to their door. So that also provides that continual funding. Um, We're always looking for more sources. We're always looking for more individuals that want to support our cause and want to help us do uh, what we do because we can't do what we do without the people that believe in us and the people that choose to put their money towards helping us change lives one dog at a time is what we always say. Julie has and a question. About the Lions Club that, oh, are, that are continual um, donations. Many years ago, the Lions Club set up a scholarship fund to help our students while they're here. And so that fund helps keep up the upkeep on the apartments for the students while they're here and pay for their meals. Um, so yeah, they, they have a, a big uh, impact yeah. on, on our monthly uh, keep things going. And Deb we appreciate goes, that. Yeah. Deb goes to lots of Lions events <laughs> with different guide dogs and training so that she can show them where their money's going to and, and what they are donating towards. Julie has a question. 
Julie. You're muted, Julie. Yes. Yep, I'm here now. Okay, and I know this is kind of a speculative question because we our future is still pretty uncertain with COVID, but with the uh, with the additional trainer person, um, how many dogs do you anticipate using as guide dogs, and how many dogs do you have and train as guide dogs as opposed to other services? Do you want to, Deb, do you want to explain how dogs pick their career? So, yeah. So, we kind of let our dogs pick the career that they want to have. So, when they come back in from their puppy raisers, we each have skill tasks in each department that we um, put the dogs through and have them try. For instance, for the guide dog, I'm looking to see how they like the harnesses because y'all know the guide harness is usually made of leather and metal and is heavier than just like the cape harness that the service dogs wear. So I'm also looking for dogs that are very independent so that they can uh, do that, what we call um, intelligent disobedience, (laughs) get my mind going here, where they will disobey my command to keep me safe and not go forward if they feel like I'm going to be stepping out into traffic or something like that. Also want a dog that's very aware of what's going on around them um, so that they're watching out for those overhangs and obstacles and things that we could run into. So it's not necessarily, um, it's the dog's choice, I guess I should say, not necessarily I'm going to say, I want that dog, that dog, and that dog. I want the dogs to be like what they're going to do and be aware of what's going on. So we do place more service dogs than we do guide dogs, probably twice as many. But in our area, the service service dogs is what uh, we have the most applications for. I... uh was wondering, I, I'm in the Lions Club, and of course, you know, we know, we know, we know that, you know, what you do. Um, my, my question is, um, there is a lot of controversy now with people that are training their own service dogs or emotional dogs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is there... Is there laws? Can we strengthen the laws? Um, I think that the people that uh, use the dogs that you train are better trained than those that train their own dogs. And I was wondering if there's some way that the laws can be um, strengthened so that this doesn't happen. Because I know of a person that had a, they called it an emotional support dog, and it rode on the airplane in her lap, and, um, you know, this hurts the people that are really using their guide dogs and their service dogs to the best of their ability to have people like this that take advantage of the situation. So I was wondering if there's a way that we can strengthen these laws so that 
these dogs, I don't care if it's a therapy dog, an emotional support dog or whatever, they ought to have to go be trained in a school and they ought to have to be able to show proof that they've been trained and people should have to carry ID so that you know what the dog is there for. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. Sure. There are groups that are out there advocating for that and getting laws changed all the time. Um, CCI and another group in California have just passed in California that those ESA dogs are not allowed public access. So it's we're working on it. It's, you know, state by state. There's lots of red tape, as you know, to go through to get to the point where it becomes law. But we also run into ADA and our laws are different. So ADA has to allow those kind of dogs into public housing and things like that. Um, so people are concerned about, you know, is it okay to be out in public with the, for them to have their dogs in public or is it just in the housing? But yes, definitely. The, we have a group and AD, through ADI that works constantly to get those laws changed to make it tougher for them. It would be great if we could have a law that said they had to be trained by an ABI or GDIGGF school to be able to um, be out there working, but we're just not that far. We've made a lot of advances over the years. In the 20-some years I've been doing this, I've seen so many changes, and um, it just takes time, and we're going to keep keep working at it. We, I think we feel the same struggle <laughs> that, that you're feeling in that frustration. Yeah. Um, we get calls a lot on, is this a real service dog? Is it not? What, what can we do? What do we have to do? Um, and currently, you can ask somebody two questions. Is this a service dog, and what tasks does it do for you? Uh, to be able to help identify the differences between um, an emotional support or an, um, an, a not true service dog. Um, the airlines have been, ADI worked with the airlines to make sure that we could, uh, that's a better, a smoother process. It's always hard to travel with your partner um, already. And then when you get all these other little yappy dogs <laughs> at you, um, your partner's sitting here quietly on the floor while you're getting checked in and you have another dog coming at you. It's, it's really tense situation. So they've tried really hard to help our graduates be able to have a better environment flying. And I think that's one of the first steps that we had. So um, now emotional support animals are not allowed to fly as an emotional support animal that would be something, um, you know, as, as a service dog or your guide dog, it is your partner to come on. It's not an extra cost um, for you to fly with that ticket with that dog on your ticket. Um, but now if you have an ESA, that would be an extra cost because they're not considering that as a service dog. So we are, we're starting um, to see some of those. So we, the airlines is a small portion of that, but I think that is a good step in the right direction to be able to, um, realize that we there is work that needs to be done, but there are small steps to slowly get to where we need to be, and hopefully we can make it better for our graduates and those true service dogs that are out there. Deb and Kelly, well, I, may I respond to uh, that one for a moment as uh, KABBI's legislative chair? Sure. 
Okay, uh, we are going to have a legislative report later in the day where we can talk about this at greater length if uh, you wish, Kathy and others. But uh, I just wanted to mention that there was an interim study which took place in 2019. Uh, I represented KABVI on the interim study committee and uh, both Ann Byington and Marilyn Lind of our organization uh, did go to some of the meetings and testify. And uh, there's no question that the guide dog access statutes and service dog access statutes, which in the capacity of a lobbyist, I drafted the major part of, and then you know, they went through the reviser of statutes back in 2002, and they are woefully out of date with what is happening now. And there's no question that what we did uh, 20 years ago is not necessarily applicable to today. So the interim study was looking at what kind of changes are needed in that law. And some changes have been uh, recommended and drafted into proposed legislation. But uh, those pieces of legislation have moved rather slowly because of the pandemic and the legislature having uh, other, <coughs> excuse me, both priorities for that and uh, uh, being at, at not full strength, as you may have heard on the news, they're not right now. I quite frankly don't know where that is going to be this year, whether they'll be introduced or not. But one thing that I am absolutely certain will happen is uh, the uh, interim committee suggested that any changes be made actually divided be divided into two different bodies of law, one relating to service and guide dogs that require full access, and one relating to housing situations and situations that are more relevant to the emotional support dogs. So some of the things that uh, you're talking about are being worked on, uh, however slowly, but the other thing that uh, needs to be stated about that in terms of KABBI's position is there are some things that you mentioned specifically, Kathy, that we quite frankly have not signed on to because we do have people who have, uh, we don't currently, but in the past have had self-trained guide dogs that were very well-trained and well-behaved. We have some other members who are using service dogs that were uh, self-trained in, in some other categories. Uh, and again, I don't think any of those people are the ones that you're talking about that are trying to fake their pets into being uh, emotional support dogs so they can bring them anywhere and messing up the system and stuff like that. And yes, there are advertisements on Facebook that I see every time I log on saying, take your pet anywhere. The law will allow you to do it and we'll send you a certification. And we're working to get rid of those kind of fly-by-night outfits uh, but it's a very complicated uh, situation. And one thing that I do not believe you're ever going to see is uh, legislation passed that says, yes, it has to be trained by a school because there are uh, just a very strong lobby out there among people who are self-training service dogs. And the ones who are really involved in the lobby are training them well, but certainly not everybody is and they know it's a problem. Uh, it's a complex issue, and we'll do little by little as we can. The first thing that I think we're trying to do in Kansas is develop those separate statutes for people who are using guide or service dogs as opposed to people who are using 
emotional support dogs, which do indeed need a less uh, wide open standard of access. I have seen, um, I was in a restaurant the other day with, uh, this has been several weeks back with a, with a person that had a supposedly emotional support dog and they were feeding it from the table and the manager went and asked them to leave because of the dog's behavior. And, and I, I strongly disagree. I think that these dogs should have to be uh, trained in a school or, and people should have to carry ID for them. But I have had uh, some friends that have come through your school that uh, one of my best friends is a vendor and he's gotten several guide dogs from you and done well, done well with them. But your husband brought your your husband brought a dog to our Lions Club meeting, Kelly, and it was a girl, and I don't know her name, but she was a sweetheart. And I'm just wondering what happened to her. <laughs> was it a black lab named Linux? Yes, she is. She actually uh, lives with Adam and I. Uh, she is one of our retired breeders, and so she did. She was a mom for three of our litters, and then retired. And so now she just lives her life, going to presentations and hanging out, sleeping on her couch. <laughs> and the new baby. Yeah, and, and the new what, baby. What did you have a boy or a girl? I had. We had a girl. Her name is Adelie. Adelie. Oh, that's pretty. I, I think. I might add that uh, we also, uh, Anne stopped using uh, trained guide dogs uh, after Hansel passed away because with her hearing uh, impairment having increased a bit and so on, she's really not crossing streets independently anyway or getting out enough that she wanted to ask to have another guide dog trained for her. But uh, KSDS was kind enough to provide us with a retired dog. And we got one that was retired early because his owner had... Uh, passed away. Uh, he certainly understands that he's not a guide dog, but he has really substituted his training for becoming an in entertainer, and he <laughs> does an excellent job at, at that. And uh, I thought maybe uh, it would be good to ask you a little bit about the number of dogs who come back with issues uh, like that where they have to retire or that don't work out, and your placement uh, of dogs who are, did not become or are not able to continue as guide or service dogs. Okay. We have another program, which is called the Career Change Program. And so if dogs fail, like when they first come back to KSDS or any time through their training that we uh, deem that it's not possible for them to be a, a working service dog, the puppy raisers are given first choice of of taking the puppy back because they've put in a lot of time and energy and love with them. Um, with graduates whose dogs retire, if they are in a situation where they can keep that dog and it can be their pet, that's great. They do that. If they cannot, for some reason, like Michael said, a death, then we always bring the dogs back to KSDS and find a suitable home for them. 
So we have a very long list of people <laughs> that would like to adopt a dog that is well-trained and, you know, potty broken, knows their obedience and things like that. So we match those puppies or those retired dogs up with individuals um, very much like we would match them to make a, a service dog placement. So we're looking at the family background, what the dog has, where it has been living, what it likes to do, how old is it, how active is it, all kinds of things like that to make those um, matches work also. Well, Journey has been a very positive factor in our lives. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad. using a guide dog anymore, but uh, we needed a big loving dog. He is ornery, but... Uh, and he's a big dog. <laughs> he is, but I knew, I knew he would keep you in in on your toes. Yeah, he's the class clown. He likes, to, <laughs> he likes to come up and lick me on the nose, which I don't normally let dogs do. But he's so fast, I can't always stop him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We love it. Does anybody else have any questions? Well, I can't wait to get back to the school and see your, your uh, new apartments. I think you only had two when I was there the last time. Oh, yeah. Right. And, it's been a while since you've been here, Ann. Right. And... Um, got people who would like to know where journey comes from and uh, my dilemma is that I can't take him on public transportation and so I'm looking to find an uber driver or somebody that will let me uh, let him ride with them we can I'd be glad to pay them for that but I want to get him down to the office so I can do a little bit more work down here there and he doesn't have to be crated we can't leave him in the house by himself because oh no no you don't want to do that he's very creative and even when we're here sometimes he's a little too creative <laughs> <laughs> so, and he very much lets us know by barking that he doesn't like being left in the crate so <laughs> that's another story thank you ladies it's been very informational and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you next year maybe Okay. Thank you so much for having us. All righty. Thanks. And this is Cecily. I have a change of host to announce. We will thank Monica for serving and switch over now to Desi Noller. Hi, Desi. Desi Noller, there she is. I see Hi, her Desi. on the screen and she's muted. Here I am. <laughs> Hi, Desi. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, and I hello. forget, where, where are you from, Arizona, maybe? Uh, yes, I'm from Phoenix. Okay, yes. I'll bet the weather's warmer there than it is here. So I'll bet it is, too. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's in the 50s. This morning. <laughs> Ooh, it's in the 50s right now here. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Nice. Mr. We don't have door prize yet, do we? Yeah, we do. Oh. The door prize. The door prize is six dish claws handmade by Kathy Dawson. Alexa, generate a random number between one and 42. Here's a number between one and 42. It's 23. The number is 23, Mr. Bob. That is Julie McCollum. Oh, okay. Good. Congratulations, Julie. Okay, we've known each other for some time, and uh, thankfully for 
Kansas, we still do have an active, exciting state school for the blind. And uh, I will credit this Kansas State School for the Blind for giving me an excellent education. I left the school when I was in junior high and attended a, a Catholic school and then a public high school my senior year of school. I kind of did the, the thing that they like for kids to do nowadays, I guess, is to transition out of the school into a, a less restrictive state language, not mine, environment. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to waste a lot of time. I'm going to let Mr. Harding talk because I know he has a lot of things to tell us. About. Kind kind words, uh, man. Love hearing stories of alumni, people who have crossed um, paths here at School for the Blind. One of the best parts of my job is getting letters from former teachers, uh, former students, and their memories of, of what happened here, how it impacted their lives. Uh, always fascinating. Um, so, yes, thank you. How much time do I have for my unstructured you have until comments? Noon. Okay. I won't, I won't take it all. Um, what Please. I do. <laughs> yeah. What I do want to say is that Anne was right. Um, I feel as a superintendent, really fortunate to, to be here at this moment in time to, uh, to lead a, uh, what I think is a growing, um, uh, getting stronger agency, more relevant than ever, more needed than ever. And um, I only wish we could hire more people because uh, when we put applications out, uh, good people are wanting to work here. Uh, it's no secret this is a tough time for education across the country, tough time for educators in Kansas. COVID has only made it more difficult. But the good news is for us that um, we believe we can create um, a, a place of, of safety and support for teachers. And they, they respond when we put um, applications out there. So that's, that's great news. Um, a quick reminder, the School for the Blind located in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, I am the superintendent. We are administered by the State Board of Education. And we are funded by the, the legislature. <clears throat> so we're right in the midst of, of the um, uh, budget season. We will go down to the legislature. The governor has recommended a budget for the School for the Blind for this coming year. Uh, that budget will be reviewed by uh, committees in House and Senate. We have an opportunity to share and testify and um, and uh, if things go well, we will be here for another year. And uh, we're always grateful for the support of our state but um, and, and honored to, to do this work. The other component to that is we are now no longer just, just, just looking for the state for support. We have developed a great relationship with partners across this state who can support our school through a nonprofit called the Casey Blind All-Stars. So, if you've not heard of it, I encourage you to look that up on, on Google. We have a um, 5K run and walk, uh, virtual or in person every year in September. The monies that are raised um, go to projects here on our campus. Um, Playground, as one example, uh, was funded a couple years ago. Uh, we are building a new gym, accessible gym. Um, that is where the funds for this year's run will go. And we raised um, $63,000 net profit last year 
and had over 383 registrants for our run. So again, very blessed and humbled with the support. <clears throat> it's nice to know that people respond when we ask them for, for help. So we'd appreciate your support in that venture. Encourage anybody to come over and uh, take a look at our campus, always something new. Right now we have a, a walkway that's being built to connect our dormitory with our school building. We have a fantastic um, wayfinding system we installed on our campus. Um, our track is still beautiful. I th we think we're the prettiest spot in Wyandotte County and uh, um, no one has challenged me on that. So please come see us. I'd love to show you around. I'm gonna move if there's not any questions and please, uh, I prefer you know, conversation to a monologue. So if there are any questions, maybe the moderator can jump in and, and let me know. But um, I gave an update to the state board uh, recently and, and my, my report to you will sort of mirror that. Um, COVID has, has impacted us as, as all schools, but we've remained open. We continue to provide on-site learning for our students as best we can. And um, we have, uh, and as all schools face the uh, retirements, we have a couple of folks who've been here a long time who have announced their retirement. Um, that is always sad uh, because their contributions can never fully be replaced. But as I said, the good news is we have really good candidates who want to work at our school. And so um, very fortunate and looking forward to adding some, some new staff members uh, next year. Um, one of the, one of the emphases we're making is parent uh, in, informed you know informed consent I guess and ch choices for parents. You'll hear those words thrown around a lot in the adult service world. But th the bottom line is we want parents to know what their rights are with respect to the IEP process. We want to share information, accurate information, with the IEP team. And, and we believe firmly that that should never be denied, that parents deserve to, to know um, accurate information and um, our professionals, um, you know, our, our professionals' judgment and experience and recommendations. Um, many times we believe parents don't know what's available to them. Therefore, they never ask for it or never challenge it when, when they're not provided with let's say, extended school year services, for example. So we're committed to challenging that and elevating that conversation at all levels. Uh, let the state board know that we are committed to uh, making sure that the IEP teams have information about what services are available to students uh, age zero, birth to 21. And we think ultimately that's what makes the difference when parents um, know what's available. They understand what their skills of their children are and should be. They will begin to ask for things that can move the needle and uh, move children to ind independence. So we're going to make that a strong push for this coming year. And I'll share some of the things that we're doing about that. Um, some key highlights, other key highlights, we're using data in a much improved way. You have to be able to justify um, your services and what you're doing. So we have a mobile app that tells us where our field services, our outreach team is going, who they're seeing, what skills they're teaching, how it's working, how many counties, how many schools, how many students. That's helping us make a stronger argument about the value of our services. 
our professional development, we think, is unparalleled. Um, you will not find another organization in this state that talks about tactile graphics, for instance, or uh, cortical visual impairment for students who are blind. We lead workshops for families and professionals across the state. Our vision symposium in Salina draws over 100 uh, registrants and participants every year, typically in, in early November, and we're excited about that. Um, we are emphasizing, of course, math and reading. This hard skills and academics still matter to us, and we've invested in intentional assessments. Uh, we use Ames Web assessments, and we use pro um, programs like Wilson Reading to help students improve their, their reading abilities. Um, we have an outstanding makerspace and mobile STEM program. Uh, we have uh, dove in to that space and offered accessible experiences in science, technology, engineering, and math. We have converted the old Brighton building, for those of you who have been here, it's our recreation building. The entire upstairs is really now a, a makerspace um, learning area where students can use uh, laser engravers, 3D printers, uh, um, sublimation machines, um, embroidery machines, all sorts of, of robotics, uh, drones, and um, games that that help students connect their interest with science, technology, and, and math concepts. So um, it's fabulous. Um, our students make things. They dream about things. They create things. They sell things in some instances. And in conjunction with that, we have a mobile STEM van, a large Ford Transit F-250, that we load all sorts of equipment and we take that equipment to public schools and we invite students who are blind or low vision to be a part of that. And then we spend th usually about three hours on site with different stations um, where they are accessible um, madness. It's, it's, it's quite a, an event, a um, bit of a three ring circus, but always fun. Kids love it. Our staff love it. And it, it tells people that, Hey, school for the blind is is relevant. We're in this space, and then we try to tie it with higher learning. So we offer a computer science, again, accessible computer science online program. It is taught by Microsoft uh, volunteers, and we offer this to students across the state. Now we need more students in it. Uh, unfortunately, again, parents don't always know about it, and they don't understand how important this is, as opposed perhaps to another elective course that isn't as rigorous, but we are offering that and encouraging it and uh, expect that to grow. Our project search, we're starting a project search. Uh, project search is a program designed to offer students with, uh, I'd say developmental disabilities an opportunity to work in community-based settings. It's a 25 year plus program started out of Children's Hospital in Cincinnati. Um, we are the only the second school for the blind ever to offer this program. It's intensive. Um, we will offer it four days a week. We are partnering with the Greater Kansas City YMCA's, so our students will go up to North Kansas City, about ten minutes away from our campus next year, and and get real real life, real world work experience in different rotations within that facility. Um, it's a fabulous facility. Our vision and missions align quite nicely with the YMCA, so we're grateful and 
really fortunate to have that program. Uh, the program is structured in a way that 80% of its graduates go on to work to, to paid employment. And that's important because so many of our students end up unemployed and that's unacceptable. So we believe that this program will move students back to employment, either here in Kansas City or in their home community. So really excited about that program. We had another highlight. We had a student win the Outstanding Student Technology Award. That's awarded by Infinitech, a consortium here in Kansas. So had a great uh, celebration day before our holiday break where the student was recognized. A young lady named Zoe Murrow was honored, and we were honored to, to have her as a winner. So it was a great day, a nice award for, for Zoe. Um, I'll move now just to sort of our goal areas. Uh, Back in 2017, uh, Madeline Birkendine at the time was superintendent of both schools. Madeline retired. Um, there was a study um, that was um, of our school, both school for the deaf, school for the blind. The state board asked the Kansas uh, um, School Board Association, Kansas Association of School Boards, actually KASB, to do a study. And they brought in stakeholders. Some of you may have been a part of that. And uh, as a result of that stakeholder meetings, um, we developed goals. Um, it said we need to be focusing on these things. The board approved those goals and we have stuck with them. We have not really changed them. I think in education, you find so many times there's a new program, a new initiative every year and things get lost. These goals are quite broad, but they matter. And we've, we have, as I said, we've stuck with them. So the first goal was expand outreach. The board had told us at the time, hey, you have a lot of great, great knowledge contained within your 10-acre campus, but that needs to be disseminated broadly, and you need to be out in communities where kids are going to school. The vast majority of students who are low, low vision or blind will not come to our campus or certainly not attend school here. They're going to attend school in their home communities, but that doesn't mean they don't, don't need our services. So, as I said, we have grown um, pretty expansively in that regard. We have staff all over the state who do both direct service. They, they provide services as um, orientation mobility specialists or TSVIs or both. But they also do professional development. And so they lead a lot of workshops and they attend a lot of meetings and they work with parents and school districts and other teachers and try to build um, – knowledge and awareness and a community of support so that teachers who do not work for our agency feel supported. They're not alone in their, uh, their interest in helping students uh, who are blind learn. So it's been uh, a great pleasure again to kind of lead that. My only wish is that I could hire more uh, staff because I, the advantage to, to having outreach workers under our umbrella is that we can cross boundaries. We can serve multiple districts. We can serve regions efficiently. We also can assure that we use data, that, that we're not uh, assigning minutes based on um, a whim or a suggestion, but rather on data. What does a student need? There are, um, as many of you know, um, there are assessments that, that will tell us what we believe is necessary. And we know that, that students are not receiving enough service. Um, it might be, you might call it drive-by services sometimes, or I call it the potato chip diet. Um, they get a little bit, but really not enough um, for them to succeed or keep up with their peers. So 
uh, we're, we try to be quite honest when we do assessments to say, this is what we believe the student will need. And then ask the team, how are we going to do that? So our outreach is strong. Uh, we have folks all over the state, as I said, Garden City to Hayes, Kansas, Wichita area, um, Beloit, Kansas, Emporia, Wamego. We have staff, um, of course, in the Kansas City region, Holton area. So we're all over and uh, we love it. And uh, we're proud to support other teachers in this state in, in their journey as well. The second goal we have was to increase our visibility and partnerships. I mentioned some of those already, uh, uh, the YMCA's and Project Search. We work very closely with Greenbush uh, Educational Service Center. They have tremendous connections in the regular ed world. So when we take our mobile STEM on the road, they help us. They, they help us line up um, appointments with school districts. And um, that's been a, a great venture. I mentioned Microsoft. We're starting blind soccer here and working with USABA, which is the United States Association of Blind Athletes. Uh, Paralympics coming to Los Angeles in 2028. And um, they're trying to, uh, to elevate uh, blind soccer as a sport. So we're getting involved with that. And we'll be playing blind soccer soon enough. Um, we also partner with local uh, community groups. The KCK Chamber is, is a, a, a partner, a key sponsor of our run. We are offering now um, new online classes in technology, Braille, music Braille, and computer science, as I mentioned. Uh, one of our teachers is uh, Christian Pewitt, who is blind and um, proficient technology and Braille user, and he's leading the charge in, in these online courses. And uh, he's a, been a tremendous asset for our school. Um, our preschool program is growing. We are offering three and four-year-old um, services on our campus and have a tremendous preschool teacher. Um, it is growing slowly. I think we have at least five students who are enrolled and we expect more next year. Um, White Cane Day, we'd love to partner with KABVI and White Cane Day. Love to get down to the Capitol, um, be visible, have lots of white canes uh, in, uh, banging around the rotunda would be fun. So we hope to do that uh, next year and beyond. Space Camp, we send the Kansas students to Space Camp, fully accessible, Huntsville, Alabama, once a year. Tremendous experience. And so we, we sponsor that for our students and send chaperones with them to Space Camp. Um, I mentioned our nonprofit, a tremendous group, Casey Blind All-Stars, uh, business people in the community, leaders in the community who support us, could not do our work without them. Uh, a goal three is professional development. I mentioned that. So we have low vision programs. Our low vision clinics are held across the state. We partner with optom ophthalmologists and optometrists and low vision specialists to provide um, hands-on experience with low vision devices, and, and they provide low vision exams. Starting to branch out and combine that with technology and having a big day coming up in Salina where we will invite parents and uh, TVS, TSBIs and students to come and explore what's available in the low vision arena. So that's growing and uh, very popular. Uh, I talked about cortical visual impairment, um, huge interest in that, and we provide our own professional development. We bring in experts to talk about that for teachers. We do new teacher mentorship. Uh, we have a program, a grant through the Department of Ed where we help recruit, uh, train, 
teach and then coach, mentor, and help place them so they can serve students in Kansas. Um, not as many as we would like, of course, but we've trained over 50 teachers in the last five years, which is not insignificant. Kylie Kilmer is our lead person for the uh, TSVI comms uh, grant. So uh, very helpful. Appreciate the Department of Ed support in that. We offer the Vision Symposium, as I mentioned, over 100 participants in Salina, typically first uh, week in November. And uh, we probably are going to have to move that. It's gotten so big that Salina doesn't have really hotels that can accommodate large groups, 150 people. So we might move that to the Wichita area. Stay tuned for that. We're going to have a family forum here on campus April 24th here at KSSB this spring. Again, bringing in family members and um, presenters to talk about what, what should you be asking at your IEP? What skills should your students have? Not just in academics, but in the areas that we call the expanded core. So technology, braille, mobility, social skills, rec and leisure, self-determination. Unfortunately, too many, too many people see these as, you know, soft skills, unimportant skills, unnecessary skills. We have got to change that um, dynamic and, and say these are not unnecessary skills. They are essential skills. In many ways, it mirrors what the state is saying for regular ed students. The state board is committed to what they would term as, you know, the soft skills. Um, why do they emphasize it for regular ed? It's the same reason. You cannot be successful if all you have is a good ACT score. You need social skills. You need to work in groups. You need to understand diversity. You need to be independent in your, in your day-to-day life. No different for our kids and even more important. So that will be Family Forum right here at KSSB, April 24th. And... Um, we're going to combine that with um, the Braille celebration um, that'll happen on Friday, the 23rd. I'll get to that a little bit more about that. The fourth goal is improved transitions. I mentioned our project search. We still have a vibrant, active 18 to 21 year old program, sort of three buckets. Kids come here for college or technical education at the college. Usually we work closely with KCK Community College. So that's one bucket. We now have Project Search for those kids who want to work, build their work skills. We have a third program for independent living skills students who perhaps have more significant support needs and who still have some, some things to work on with independent living, daily living skills before they graduate. So um, we work with the uh, Voc Rehab and Prietz, of course, as partners. And um, we're excited to expand our transition program. And if more parents know about it, we know they will want it and they will ask for it. And uh, so we're excited about that. Um, our, our, our facilities, I mentioned, we have some improvements in our facilities, walkway, breezeway. We're excited. We're um, hoping to build a new elevator for our pool for accessibility. I mentioned our gymnasium remodel. Um, some other things we're doing, we're focusing on social emotional learning and honoring both students and staff. Staff like to be recognized too if they're doing a great job. So we're, um, we're honoring them, giving them um, recognition and little treats off the uh, student's coffee cart, snack cart, finding having a lot of fun with celebrating 
good, uh, good behavior, good actions, positive um, behaviors here at school. We have an accreditation visit um, this March. Our school is part of the KISA process. We have a team, an outside validation team of three members who will come here and learn about the good things we are doing. And uh, year five is our, our final year that we have to submit to the accreditation review committee. And um, hopefully we'll be accredited after next year. But I'm very proud of the things we're doing, as you can tell, and I'm confident that will come out just fine. Some upcoming dates, things you might want to know about. Um, graduation here will be May at, uh, 12th this year. We held it outside on our track. Beautiful day in spring last year. We hope to get another, another uh, beautiful day. Um, Braille Challenge. We're still having a, a Braille Challenge. Um, this is a competitive event that we offer to students in Kansas. That'll be held virtually this year, February 18th. And then in conjunction with that, I mentioned the Braille celebration. So uh, there are many, many kids who don't want to necessarily compete uh, in Braille, but they want to have fun with it and they want to improve their skills. So on mail, um, excuse me, April 23rd, Friday, we'll have a Braille celebration here at School for the Blind. Have fun events, all involving Braille, um, not necessarily competitive, but a lot of fun. And it will reinforce all these ECC skills and invite families and students to come to that. So that's um, anybody's interested, let me know and uh, can tell you more about it. State board will meet here on our campus April 13th. Again, a great opportunity to share all the great things we're doing, put students and, and staff in front of the board and ask for their help. Um, they don't always want to just hear the great things. They want to hear, what are you struggling with? How can we help? So we're going to put some, some issues before them and ask for their help. And my experience is they've been very responsive, very supportive, and uh, eager to, to help us when we need it. So um, I'm, I'm getting toward the end. I know I'm uh, approaching uh, my, my allotted time. Um, the challenges we have are, again, shortages of teachers and lack of service coordination in this state. We need to get better at coordinating services. Um, they're disjointed. Um, they are insufficient, in my view. And we can do better. Um, parent education, got to get better with that. And we're committed to that. And then tracking students. Uh, we, we, have no, we don't have authority to track students or to count students in this state. Kind of makes very little sense to me. Um, we're the school for the blind. In our estimation, we ought to know where the kids are located. So we can, again, share information. Um, we don't have the authority to do that. So we use a lot of back doors. But we'd like a front door. That'll be something we're talking with the state board about. Uh, to getting some help. So I'll close there. A lot of talking. Um, again, good, good things ahead for the school for the blind. Pleasure and honor to be here. I, I do want to mention, I get a lot of calls over the course of the year from adults um, who will say to me, my mom is losing her vision. She lives in uh, Russell, Kansas. She wants to stay in her home. Where can she go for help? And, and I don't have a lot of good answers for that. I do, of course, refer to our friends in, in Envision and, and Alpha Point in Missouri. But it is a, um, a troubling scenario when I receive those calls because we know that the services for adults have been uh, devastated and have never returned um, to help our, our fellow citizens. So love to partner with you on some of these issues. I invite you to come to our school or reach out to me. 
always happy to brag about School for the Blind. So I'll close there, and thank you for the opportunity. And uh, the first thing I want to do as a recently retired from my school caseloads uh, certified orientation and mobility specialist, I want to thank and uh, uh, give kudos to the School for the Blind for all of the great services that their outreach does provide to us working in the field. Uh, I think as a comms working with the schools uh, during the uh, last five years of my full-time or near full-time professional uh, career, that uh, there were excellent, excellent services. Uh, and uh, as I served my five to six school districts that I was serving during that time, uh, all of your people were wonderful to work with. Uh, I do have a question about that, though, in that over that five uh, years plus that I was working as a school comms uh, near the end of my nearly full-time career, uh, I saw less and less school districts wanting to employ or contract with uh, practitioners in the field in O&M or, or TBIs, and more and more of your consultants were also providing the primary services in uh, various districts because they simply couldn't get personnel to do it. Uh, my question about that is, uh, is your role as a direct service providers contracting with these school districts increasing? And if so, by how much? And is it a, your hope to ultimately uh, take that uh, issue over pretty much 100%? Or would you really rather be working with uh, school districts who have employees or contractors and then you're providing the technical assistance and uh, services that they need to do their job well. Well, Michael, do we have three days? Because we're going to need three days to go through this. Um, <laughs> just, it, a, lot of, a lot of questions in there. Great questions. Um, I, will, I will answer that as best I can. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem, isn't it? Um, if too few teachers, and, and not just a special ed or blind low vision problem it's it's a problem of education too few teachers too, too few uh, specialists too few paraprofessionals right everybody's confronting the same same issue um we've recognized it for a long time I, the philosophy seems to have been at the department level that we can quote build the capacity of school districts to serve their own kids and and while in theory that's a great concept and we would support that in reality, it, it hasn't, hasn't played out, and very few people would dispute that. There are exceptions. There's some districts that have been able to maintain their own, quote, vision departments and do quite well. They are um, a shrinking um, exception, getting harder. And when you're a small district in rural Kansas, I'm not sure how much sense it makes financially to commit to hiring a vision teacher if, for instance, your, your one, one student moves away. Then what do, you, what do you do with your vision teacher? Um, and so if I, I've begun to question that premise out loud and said, there might be a better way to do it. And um, I have some, some ideas about that. It's a little bit com, uh, com complex because you're talking about funding and uh, special ed funding and reimbursements, categorical aid, and so forth. But my present position is that when we were willing to do more on the 
the direct service side, Michael, out of necessity, and we believe that we can support our teachers. And they like working here because they're not the Lone Ranger. They are supported by fellow professionals. They get excellent professional development. They can ask for assistance when they need it. We can coordinate regionally. We use good data to, to justify the services we deliver. And we're not beholden to a special interest, a powerful director maybe who doesn't want to talk about ECC because it might cost them more money. Um, so my preference would be to, to hire more teachers, to have a budget to do that, and to do a little pilot to say, I'll show you that kids in this state would get better services and, and have better results if, if it's under our umbrella. Um, and so... Nobody, nobody's been able to, to dispute that or to say, no, that's not a good idea. But because of the complexity of it and the shortages of other teachers, it's, it's um, a process. And until that happens, we continue to partner with our friends in, in school districts and independent uh, consultants. And uh, Green, Greenbush has some good providers. We're doing the best we can, but I think there's a better way. And I think the idea that everybody can build their own program is probably a flawed premise in, in my view. John, how are you? Michael Monteferrani. Michael, to, uh, good to see you, my friend. Yeah, just well done today. Uh, incredibly uh, informing. It's just great to catch up on a lot of your initiatives and some of your latest thoughts. So as always, we appreciate our ability to collaborate with you uh, both up there and you down here. So thank you for the partnership. And, um, you know, we're going to be up here in a little while with, with, with our team sharing some updates on Envision. But I'll tell you, I was, I was very, very inspired uh, by your overview today. And on behalf of, of the entire industry, thank you for your, you and your team's hard work and continuing to make progress. So it's a good pleasure, job. To, pleasure to work with, with your team. And uh, as I said in my remarks, we always try to refer folks uh, down to you when we can't, um, you know, we can't serve the needs. We know there's you know, tremendous need in this state. I know you guys are doing your very best and offer tremendous services. So when we can, we refer uh, to Envision knowing that they're in good hands once they get down there. So thank you. Thank you for your work and your leadership and uh, just a pleasure always looking for new ways to, to do more together. So thank you. You bet, John. And it's our commitment to, to collaborate with you even closer. And you're going to meet some new, uh, our, our new leaders here, uh, both Noreen Karochi and Karen Page, which are coming up at the 12 o'clock session. And I, I think you're going to really be impressed as we mold, you know, our collaboration on behalf of all Kansans together. So uh, keep up the great work, and uh, we applaud your efforts, sir. Looking forward to hearing from your 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 team. Thanks so much, Michael. Anne has her hand raised. I just wondered if um, you could give us a a uh, oh, I can't think of the word, but sort of an overview of how many students you have right now, how many people are in your extended programming that kind of information i always i always and if that question was for me i always use three numbers right off the bat on a, on a powerpoint slide it's it's 50 50 students are served enrolled here on campus we have 800 students one way or another in this state that we touch through either direct service or indirect services uh, many of you know we have the Kansas instructional resource center which does an outstanding job sharing resources 
um, tactile graphics, braille materials, low vision technology. So a lot of our kids get uh, touched through our instructional resource center. And then the last number is we put out is 1500. We know um, that's an underestimate. In fact, a, a number of students in the state who are blind or low vision birth to 21. Um, but as I said, we we're not authorized to, to, to have an exact count. So that's a conservative estimate, but we're comfortable in saying that out loud. Um, so 50 on campus, 800 that, that are touched in one way or another by our school, and then uh, 1,500 total. Does that, does that help answer your question? Yes. Um, the, uh, first of all, I want to say that <clears throat> I don't think you know this about me, but I grew up in Beloit, Kansas, so I'm glad to hear that you've got somebody working out there. I, I used to be the only blind person in the area that I knew of, except for my cousin who was also there, but that's kind of exciting. Are your students still going home on the weekends? They are. We, we run uh, five days a week here. They go home today, Fridays at 1230, so they can get back home and spend some time with their families and then uh, return on Sunday, Sunday evening. So I think it's important to, you know, I, I always call myself an inclusionist, and I, um, you know, want to partner with local schools. I want, I want students to have friends and connections to their home community. At the same time, we also recognize we're here when they need us. You know, that's, that's, that's what this school is for. There are times and places they need more intensive services than their local district can provide. And uh, so we think, we think we're carving that path, you know, quite nicely. But um, the need's great out there, no mistake about it. There's tremendous need, it's growing, and that, that puts a lot of weight on the rest of us to say, how do we help meet that need, so. Anybody else have questions? No hands are raised. Okay, well, thank you, Mr. Harding, and uh, I'm sorry Nancy didn't find us, but maybe she's on now, I don't know, but um, we appreciate the information. I do plan this year to try to participate in the, the, the uh, information weekend that you mentioned in April. I kind of missed the boat last year, but we are interested in doing that. Love to have you over for our, our family farm. Thanks so much again for the time. Yes, thank you. You know, over the years, we have, uh, as an advocacy organization, tried to maintain as many state services and services offered uh, throughout the state as we possibly could. And that has been kind of a losing battle over the years. At one time, uh, state services for the blind had uh, over 50 social workers that uh, worked with blind people statewide, uh, stationed in counties all over the state. Uh, it had a staff of eight rehabilitation teachers. It had specialist counselors uh, that were specialist vocational counselors for the blind. There were 20 of them. Uh, there was a nice system of state services. Over the last 20 years, we have lost virtually all of that. And there are much less services than uh, there certainly used to be. One organization that has run counter to that trend and has continued to develop and move forward and provide more and more services is Envision. 
I was honored to be part of their staff uh, in two different uh, segments for over 16 years. Uh, it was a very much a pleasure to spend 16 years of my 45 or so year professional life uh, working uh, as an Envision employee. I am really excited to say that I don't know most of the people speaking today because I left Envision uh, at the age of 62 to uh, do what I thought was going to be a semi-retirement career with the school systems working as a school-age comm and uh, comms, and I certainly was busier than I expected to be at that. But there really have been so many new people come to Envision since then that I'm glad Mr. Monteferranti is uh, going to be introducing them all because I really don't know anything about a lot of them and I'm really looking forward to learning. I do want to say it is my pleasure to introduce Michael Monteferrati to start out this presentation. Uh, Envision, like any private not-for-profit working with people with disabilities, has had times that it's struggled over the years and it's had times that it's inter enjoyed a great deal of growth. When Michael Monteferranti came on, there were a lot of challenges and a lot of concerns about whether Envision would continue to grow and move forward. And I know Mr. Monteferranti to have been a turnaround specialist working with many, many organizations over his career where he has taken an organization that was struggling a bit and turned it around to be very successful. There's a difference with what he has done with Envision because he not only engaged in that turnaround, but he also has stayed to continue the next chapter. And I hope that he will be planning to continue to do that. So it is truly an honor for me to introduce Michael Monteferrante, the uh, CEO of Envision. Michael, thank you very much. It's always great being with you, partner. And I hope you and Ann are doing great. And it seems like uh, based on this webinar today, you are. So uh, well done. And thank you for your dedication to our industry and, uh, and this chapter. It's, um, uh, you guys are doing a great job. And it's been, we've been proud uh, supporters you know, of this program, as you know, uh, for a long time and continue to do so because we have an appreciation for your hard work, your dedication, and your passion uh, to assist and support Kansans. And, um, you know, you're right in terms of what our state, what our county, and certainly what our city has been unable to do in terms of progressing and moving uh, the, the rights and opportunities for people who are blind and visually impaired. So we are very proud of our commitment to that. And, and doing the best we can uh, to stay active, to stay engaged, and to participate in terms of the progression of, of, of individuals. Um, and, and, uh, and this is what we're going to be talking about today, is to, to bring everyone up to speed on what the organization's doing. And um, Michael's also correct in terms of the, uh, the progression of leadership at Envision. And we're very, very excited uh, with that progression. And our whole strategy here, not only in Kansas, but throughout 
the 10 states that we represent and 16 locations is it's all about evolution for us. And with evolution uh, is not only who we serve, but uh, who's leading the organization. So it's just a very, very natural progression of an organization that continues to impact lives in many, many ways. And you're going to hear about that today. And then it's also about um, upward mobility, right? So our, our strategic plan is based around those two areas. We want to continue to employ more blind and visually impaired people. And we're doing that across the country. Uh, and it's also about adding and supporting more services to serve people who are blind and visually impaired. And we are covering the state of Kansas, I think, fairly well. And we're continuing to expand upon that in other geographical areas of the United States of America. So uh, today we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about employment. We're going to talk about workforce development. We're going to talk about some new mergers and acquisitions that we've done in regards to college students. We're going to talk about our robust programs that, as Michael has accurately said, we've, um, we've continued to uh, progress, implement, and expand in a shrinking environment in regards to these type of services. So um, we are in many ways, you know, that beacon of light for the state of Kansas, and we're very, very proud of that. And, uh, and we continue to improve and expand our programs. And, and you're going to hear about that also today and our focus and commitment to the arts. And so with that, we've, uh, as you can see from the agenda today, you know, we have our vice president of innovation, Karen Page, uh, who is the former president and CEO for Kansas Global Trade. We are going to have Noreen Karochi, our current Senior Vice President of Mission and Foundation Services, who was the 12-year President of Newman University here in town. Um, Hannah Christensen is going to be talking about our programs. And of course, uh, Hannah's been involved with the Envision family for many, many years and continues to progress her career here. And uh, Sarah Kephart, the leader of our art program, is going to be talking about uh, some very, very exciting news that we have to share in regards to the arts. And so, you know, as we talk about these key segments of what's happening within Envision and progressing upward mobility uh, throughout multiple facets, uh, we continue to have 92% of our direct labor workforce is blind and visually impaired. Uh, so we continue to move that number up. Um, we have moved uh, with the acquisition of the Dallas Lighthouse, which at time of acquisition three years ago was at 68% um, blind visually impairment in terms of direct labor workforce, which is below the ability one requirement by law to it now being 84% down in Dallas. So We've hired dozens and dozens of people from the Dallas community to continue to uh, progress the operation, which is now called Envision Dallas. Uh, we continue to move rapidly in regards to the amplification of people who are visually impaired in our professional services 
side of the house and happy to represent today that 100% of our customer service department now is blind and visually impaired. And so we're really moving these along and a lot of folks from our manufacturing are now moving to services, uh, which Karen will be talking about. So really today in the face of an over two year pandemic and in the face of the United States government not coming back to work in full form, when a lot of our mission margin side of the house is based on office products and supplies that the United States government uh, uses. And as we continue to retract troops from throughout the world in regards to war fighters, you know, less and less troops are being deployed in terms of using many of the products that Envision and our sister agencies use. Envision continues to forge ahead uh, in the face of this adversity at an unheralded rate of speed and services. And you're going to hear a lot about that today. So I come to you today as a proud partner of, of uh, the Kansas Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired and hopefully a beacon of light for services and employment and a great partner of John Harding's and what's going on at the Kansas School for the Blind and bring to you a slate of incredible individuals and a slate of incredible initiatives that Envision currently has underway. So it's with gratitude and thanks in terms of my opening statements to your hard effort and work and to all the members of KABVI uh, that uh, we come to you today and introduce to you uh, some, some new executives within the team and their programs and for other uh, leaders that continue to come up through our organization and expand upon the programs that we have. So things are well at Envision, we're moving along uh, in, a, in a very forward fashion uh, with a long-term commitment and dedication to what we need to do in regards to our mission. So thank you, Michael and Ann, for the invitation to be here today. And with that, uh, I would like to uh, introduce uh, Karen Page, and then we'll roll on to Noreen Karochi, and then Hannah Christensen, and then Sarah Kephart, and be pleased to field any type of questions that you and the, uh, uh, the great uh, committee members and membership have. So thank you, Michael. And with that, I'll turn it over to Karen Page. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Karen Page, Vice President of Innovation and responsible for building the amazing Workforce Innovation Center First, though, I wanted to say um, hello to Anne and Michael from Therese Gorin. I was telling her that I had met, quote unquote, Anne and Michael are seeing you on screen when we did the practice on Tuesday. And she goes, oh, tell them I said hi. I miss them and they're good friends. So I, I love the community that is at Envision, but also the community and all of our partner organizations. So I would also talk about employment and workforce development. And let me get, begin by saying that um, uh, that workforce development is a challenge that every single corporation and organization is experiencing. 
Um, doesn't matter if we're serving people who are blind or visually impaired or if it's just a for-profit corporation. This is a huge and challenging area. And I say that to you not as an excuse, but so that we set uh, a realistic context for um, the challenges ahead and also recognize um, the accomplishments. Um, it's really important, though, I think, to give ourselves grace as we're embracing a really big challenge. And then that grace then really leads to acknowledging the hard work and success that we actually build together. Um, so my job, I like to explain things really simply, maybe because my mind likes that best. Um, so my job is to work with employees um, to help them build their skills um, and characteristics um, to be prof to have professional careers. Um, those employees are blind or visually impaired. Um, to illustrate, let me tell you about the composition of the Workforce Innovation Center. Um, I am typically cited, and you might have met Katie Link, our business development director. She is typically cited. Um, we are the only ones that are typically cited in the entire department. The rest of the nine employees are blind or visually impaired. And I have to tell you that I was explaining to some uh, custom, a customer um, in a meeting earlier this week um, you might have heard of Interest Bank, um, that it's been the pleasure and the most rewarding, rewarding aspect of my entire career to be able to work with these talented um, people. I've learned so much from them. It's such an enriching environment. Um, so that's one side, work with the employees. So all of my team, I, I'm big on coaching and leadership development. Um, we, we learn to help each other. I teach them business skills. I teach them business planning, we're getting involved, and, and all the time we're really thinking about um, um, how can we improve, how are we accountable to each other. These are all traits that, um, that are really required throughout the world for, uh, for, for career um, and professional jobs. Um, the, um, the, the most rewarding, I think the most valuable, is that we have learned to work as a team. Um, and then we take that information as we're learning together, and we apply that to working with the other side of my job is to work with employers to get them ready to employ people who are blind or visually impaired. And that could have anything to do with um, making sure that their digital platforms are accessible from their website, that outward facing to their employment opportunities forms or you know, their jobs website, their human resources onboarding process um, to actual functional areas, um, whether it be a customer service job at a bank, or whether it be a light manufacturing job um, in, um, in a manufacturing operation in another state, or whether it be a cybersecurity analyst at a company um, that provides cybersecurity operations um, to its clients. Um, so we look at the physical environment and also the digital environment. And our whole goal is to um, help them solve problems, um, to, to um, improve their accessibility for um, people who are blind and visually impaired um, and other um, disabilities, as well as gave them confidence in the value that gives to them. So we spend a lot of time with the employers or the companies, really helping them understand the value of being accessible. Um, when they go through these sort of, uh, it feels a little bit like um, an audit, you know, we audit their systems and we tell them, here's what you can do to improve and make your systems more accessible. Hey, maybe sometimes everyone doesn't think that's a whole lot of fun. Um, so we spend a lot of time with them explaining to them what that value really is, you know, what, how they can take that information and their newfound awareness, as well as their newfound um, accessibility and turn that into 
um, uh, advancements for their own company, whether it be access to a greater um, uh, pool of talent that um, really is a great fit for their organizations, or whether that be just um, uh, really in, uh, embracing the enrichment that um, comes along with uh, being aware of the, um, the value that diversity brings. Um, and so we we have actually developed some tools for our customers that tell them, you know, how to engage um, more successfully with people who are blind or visually impaired and how to talk about the value of that to their customer base and to their employees. Um, so those are those have been um, really um, fun projects um, and we're making progress, um, quite a bit of progress. Um, let me talk a little bit about the Workforce Innovation Center. I mentioned earlier, we have nine people on our team who are blind or visually impaired. Um, six of those are in our call center. So I wanna talk a little bit about our call center. Our call center is um, what I think of as um, the entry level to the professional career paths that Envision is building. Um, our call center um, team members, it, it's probably their first professional job um, in their career. Um, uh, we often promote from within. So we take um, a look at obviously the jobs that we have available are open to everyone, um, but we really love to be able to promote from our manufacturing floor to come and work at the call center. On December 20th, I hired um, two more um, gentlemen who um, are jaw screen readers. Um, one of them used to be employed in our manufacturing operation at Envision a few years ago. One of them came directly from our manufacturing operations, and they're doing great. So they've had their onboarding experience, and they've had training the, the first 30 days, and now they're rocking and rolling in the call center. Um, this is a really great job for people who are beginning their careers because we spend a lot of time um, really talking about individual accountability. They have daily, weekly, and monthly you know, um, quantitative goals. Um, we involve all of our team in business planning and ideation. Um, so our call center um, team members are learning what it's like to think like a business and deliver um, on time, you know, high quality work. Um, and they're also um, really learning some skills that every business wants, which is accountability, professionalism, um, how to network, how to you know speak the language of business, how to understand financial and that sort of thing. So it's not just a call center job is my entire point. Yes, they're doing the call center job. They're making calls, um, a lot of them, uh, a lot of calls um, every day, um, but they're learning these other skills. And then what we do is we um, work with them to determine if they want to stay in the call center for a while or if we have opportunities for them in other areas of Envision or outside in our network. Um, so that leads me to um, talking about um, um, placement opportunities. So we have been working the past two months, um, a team of folks at Envision and externally as well um, to create a new service where we actually work with um, mainstream um, companies to place blind and visually impaired people in those organizations. Um, I'll keep you posted on um, when we can really call that a success, um, but just keep in mind that these are jobs outside of Envision, um, and we are well on our way to making that a completely new stream of job opportunities for folks. Um, we also, um, I want to talk a little bit about our professional um, experts on our team. So we have three people on the Workforce Innovation team that are accessibility experts, and 
reason I call them experts is because, and they would hate it if I call them experts because it's so, you know, there's a lot of pressure, right? We, no one ever knows all the answers, um, but they have certifications, um, degrees, um, lots of knowledge and experience that really make them able to advise the employers on how to improve their accessibility. Um, and they've earned those degrees and education over the years. And this is another trait that we really encourage is uh, you really have to invest in your education and your knowledge or certifications, whatever it is that's required for the job to get those career paths. Um, nothing is given to any of us. We really have to work to achieve um, that recognition and work to achieve um, getting those promotions and having a great um, um, upward trajectory in our career. Um, last thing I want to mention about the Workforce Innovation Center is um, keep your eyes peeled. Um, we announced this summer a partnership with Wichita State University Technical uh, Tech on culinary arts. Um, so we are um, we've been working together to develop um, training courses that um, are certificate based that are could be used in the uh, professional kitchen industry, as the chefs call it. Um, to get jobs in, in, the, in the culinary arts um, um, professions. Um, we are uh, in the process of doing the first pilot so that our chefs at WSU Tech can work directly with someone who's low vision and someone who is uh, completely blind and make sure they have um, the training um, uh, system down and so that we can be successful. Um, those, uh, that program can actually be turned into an associate's degree with Wichita Tech as well. So these are stack certi certificate based and stackable completely. You guys are going to you're going to love it. Um, so just keep your eyes peeled for that. And then today um, we announced a partnership with Novacos, which is a national cybersecurity company. Um, we're going to be working with them to provide cybersecurity training. Um, again, certificate based um, that is recognized in the industry. So those are just two things that I'm just thinking about this morning. Um, I was asked to make sure that we told you how many people we employ overall. So overall, Envision employs 81 blind and visually impaired people in Kansas. 23 of those people are at our BSCs, and then we employ about 250 total, so throughout the nation, but about 81 here in Kansas. Um, so I hope that answered the question. Let me just end um, the comments on Workforce Innovation Center um, with this last statement to you. Um, the team at the Workforce Innovation Center has the awesome responsibility to create the future of work for our colleagues who are blind and visually impaired. This is what motivates us every day. This is what we talk about. What kind of place do we want to work? What kind of career options do we want? And so I've just asked my staff to let's work together and let's create the future of work and opportunity that we want for each of us. And it's, you should, anyone's welcome anytime, come and visit. You'll love the energy that we have and how we work together to solve problems. Let me talk a little bit about um, the College Success Program. I'm really excited to be able to talk about this program. It is so amazing. Um, in October of 2021, Envision acquired the College Success Program. Um, and this program is 100% virtual. It's available to anyone in the United States. And its hallmark is its robust college mentor program. Today, there are 22 college mentors coaching and supporting a little over 100 college students around the nation. Each of our mentors has been a member mentor in the college success program. So they have the experience of, you know, being and doing. Um, and then they also have at least an undergraduate degree from college. And most have master's degree and even uh, there's many that have PhDs. 
Um, so these are highly educated people who lived, um, you know, lived the challenges of being someone who is blind or visually impaired and getting a college degree. The overall objective of the College Success Program is, as it says, it's really to help our blind and visually impaired students graduate from college or achieve the level of um, uh, degree or education attainment that they're really looking for. Um, there are other, um, excuse me, there are other um, uh, program elements that the College Success Program offers. Like they have meetups, virtual meetups, so that they can, you know, talk amongst themselves, but also support each other in social endeavors or um, give each other tips and best practices. So they're, you know, they're really doing that social element as well. Have webinars where they talk about tips to work with your college counselor. How are you going to get your resume together? Um, you know, what, what are the options for you there? How do you communicate to your professor if something's not accessible? So there's advocacy elements as well. Um, and then um, there are one, lots of one-on-one -on -one engagement between either the staff at College Success Program, but mostly between the mentor and the student. Um, more than 1,200 students are currently involved in some aspect of the College Success Program right now. Um, and um, at, since its inception in 2016, the College Success Program has supported more than 1,200 students to obtain their degree. Um, and by the way, there's no cost to the student. So if you're interested in learning more, if you want to share this with anyone in your networks, um, visit www.collegesuccessbvi.org for more information or to get involved. If you are interested in employment opportunities with Envision, please visit our website, um, and that is envisionus.com, and you can click on a um, button or search for job opportunities, and all of our current jobs are available. And I would encourage you or anyone in your network to check on that on a regular basis. I also want to say, if anyone's interested in learning more about the College Success Program or the work we're doing at Workforce Innovation Center, I'm always recruiting talent and I'm always open to ideas. So if you, if I said anything today that you think would be interesting to someone in your network, I'd love to hear from you. And so you can reach me at Karen, K-A-R-Y-N dot page, P-A-G-E at envisionus.com. I'm always open for um, recruit. I'm always recruiting, looking for folks in culinary or cybersecurity, um, or just looking for talent, we may have something that's not necessarily posted yet. Um, but if I find talent, I try to figure out how we can help the talent, but also how we can put them to good work. Um, thank you. And I'm happy to take questions at the appropriate time. Noreen, I think you're up next. Okay, thank you very much, Karen. Um, and we will um, have plenty of time for questions, I think, um, at the end of this. Um, as Michael said, I, I recently joined Envision um, coming out of retirement um, and um, am just thoroughly enjoying the opportunity to work with the amazing people here in Mission Services at Envision. And you're not meeting all of them, um, but Today, you had asked to focus on youth activities and programs. And so we must begin with Ms. Teresa Houston, who is our director of the Early Childhood uh, uh, Envision Child Development Center, where we take infants 
through pre-K, and I am proud to say she's a Newman University graduate. So, Ms. Teresa, why don't you tell them what's up in the ECDC? Audio now unmuted. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, hello, Michael and Ann. And we are all very familiar with each other. Um, thank you, Ms. Noreen. I am a Newman grad. I have my bachelor's in counseling with an emphasis in substance abuse in early childhood. And I have my master's from French University in marriage and family therapy. Um, I am just blessed to be here. Um, we are having fun in the ECDC, the Envision Child Development Center. We house around 50 students that are ages zero to five. Um, we have an infant room that holds anywhere. We hold nine infants in there, ages up to one and walking. And then our transition one classroom is ages one to two and a half. We have 10 spots in there. Two and a half to four is our transition classroom. Transition two, they, we hold up to about 15 students in there. Pre-K, they can hold up to about 20 students in there, but we like to keep it at about 18. Um, and they're ages three to five. We also have a home-based services team that provides resources to our surrounding counties. We've had that on hold for the last two years with the home-based services team, but the center has stayed open during COVID. We have trudged through, we've just had a good time. Our goal is that every student that is visually impaired or blind between the ages of um, zero to five have touched the Envision family. Because the Envision family, we offer music here through a practicum with Wichita State. I have practicum students starting next week in our early childhood program. So I have students here. I have three students coming, one which is a Delta Gamma, which supports our mission. And then I also am partnered with Catholic Charities. We have a grandma here from the Catholic Charities program, which is fun because she's her son works in workforce innovation with Karen. And so his mother works down here through Catholic Charities. And so we try to partner up with like that. We are also connected with USD 259. We have students that are here that are visually impaired that will also receive their therapy sessions through 259 so they can do a half a day with me. They'll do the other half a day with 259. So we are partnered with our community. Our goal is that once again, every child is touched and envisioned in touched that is zero to five. We also have an art program. Miss Sarah sees all of our students in the art program. She actually goes in the classroom with our nursery students. And then we also have an art studio in which they go to, and they do this weekly. Um, six of my staff are visually impaired, including myself. I'm totally blind. I wear glasses because I like to wear some good eye shields. Um, just in case I run into a wall or something, but we just continue on. But six of my staff are visually impaired. Recently, um, my last staff, I did receive her from manufacturing and she just came in and became a part of our family here too. We're a family and that's how we operate. We operate as a family. If we need something um, from each other, we try to figure it out and work it out. 
But our goal is to be in the community, let the community know we're here. One of the things I want you to know that's very important, a lot of people don't know, we don't turn around visually impaired and blind students ages zero to five. If they cannot pay, Envision will take up the cost of that. We have a tuition assistance program. So we try to figure out whatever we can do to get those students in. The other thing is this year, I partnered with Cerebral Palsy Research Foundation. I have received three of my staff from them, one in which it was also a part of Heather's camp, and she was visually impaired. And so she's only 19, but she's doing an excellent job, and she's visually impaired also. But we are partnered throughout the city for... Um, we are... I'm so sorry, my jaws went off. Um, we are... Partnered throughout the city with different organizations. Dr. Whitfield is a good supporter of ours through Green Vision Group. And we have a good time. Once my children turn five, I hand them off to Hannah Christensen and um, Sarah. They keep everything going. I think I did my 10 minutes. If you have any questions or any comments, um, I'll be on here for any of that. But Hannah's next. And then she takes my babies from ages five and up and we get to see them throughout the program. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Ms. Teresa. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Hannah Christensen, and I am the Director of Community Programs here at Envision. I've had the pleasure of working for Envision for the past 11, almost 12 years. Ms. Teresa and I started on the same day. Woohoo! Um, I'm really proud to be here because of all of the changes and upward growth and innovation that's been taking place since I've started here. Uh, you've heard everybody so far has mentioned partnerships and I cannot let this uh, go without saying we are only as good as our the strength of our partnerships in the community. Uh, one of those partnerships is with the Kansas State School for the Blind. We work directly with the TSVIs throughout the state to make sure that all students in the state of Kansas who are currently receiving vision services know about and have access to our programs. Um, even throughout the last two years when everything has kind of been paused, uh, we have somehow managed to continue to provide quality programming, whether it's through a virtual uh, component, strategically structuring our program events to take place outdoors so that we can accommodate uh, families and encourage in participation for all ages. Um, so our programs continue to grow and evolve. That's one thing that we continue to do is every time we have a program, we look at it, we evaluate the needs of the communities that we serve to make sure that our programs are growing with the communities and changing to, to meet the needs of the population. Um, that is something that we're really proud of that we continue to evolve and innovate in how we're providing programming. Uh, I know this is meant to be about youth, but our adult support group program that meets once a month on the second Tuesday of each month, we've managed to uh, interact with individuals from throughout the United States because we were able to provide a virtual platform. Um, the same for our Level Up program and our Heather's Camp programs. Uh, we're very excited to bring those programs back to an in-person uh, on-campus programs this coming summer. We have recently uh, launched the registration platform for our Level Up program. Uh, 
uh, we are partnering with the Kansas State School for the Blind to encourage students who are involved in their summer prep program for their extended school year to then turn around and come and join us on campus at Wichita State University for our high school conference. Uh, the program at Level Up, I'm just gonna go over that real quick, is very robust. And we have gone uh, to great lengths to make sure that we are working with students throughout the year. So in addition to our summer residential programs that take place at Wichita State University for high school and Butler Community College for middle school, we've also uh, increased our access to our Level Up Studies program. It is a homework assistance program for students who might be having struggles in school who want to connect with somebody. So between elementary through high school, if you have a student who's in need of additional support and help with their schoolwork, we are happy to provide that service. Additionally, we offer our monthly level up chat where students middle school and high school can gather together on a Zoom link from across the United States, stay in touch with people they have gotten to meet in the Level Up program, talk about uh, unique topics. Uh, our last two sessions have been uh, Hot Holiday Tech. So we did that in November where we talked about um, the new devices that were coming out over the holidays and the accessibility aspect of them. We're very fortunate that we have um, some amazing talent within our own building that Therese Gorin, who's our assistive technology specialist, and Mika Paikala, who is uh, our digital accessibility specialist in the Workforce Innovation Center. And they will come on to some of our chats to answer those questions that I might not be able to answer. And even if we don't have the solution, we won't stop looking for the solution and providing those resources to children and families to make sure that they can continue to be successful in the world today. Um, CSP is just a great addition to that so that we can continue to support students who are blind or visually impaired as they leave our level up program and enter college career transition. They have those avenues readily available to them through our workforce innovation. So those strategic partnerships that we have throughout the country really strengthen us to be able to continue to provide high quality program to all people of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Um, with our community, we wanna make sure that we have a presence in the community. Uh, no, no more are we trying to create things. Let's see what's happening in the world around us and how can we help those professionals, those individuals who are passionate about what they're doing, learn how to provide that to somebody who's blind or visually impaired. So we are trying to engage the community on a higher level to help raise awareness to vision loss so that they can participate in mainstream activities um, in a supportive network of people who are doing something that they already love. Uh, we do that with our track program where we connect runners with uh, the running community in the Wichita area so that they can continue to do things outside of one-off events that we might provide for them to participate in. Um, Heather's Camp is one of our other residential programs. Uh, we will now be at YMCA Camp Wood in Elmdale, Kansas. It's just outside of Emporia. We're very excited about that partnership. Uh, we've worked very closely with the Y and they are doing their very best to meet our needs. 
while we're in that space and we're excited to have all of the campers back. And so that program is for youth ages seven to 21, because we want to make sure that students who might still be receiving school services um, can stay connected and, and still have that engagement opportunity. So there's a lot of cool things happening here, and I am very excited to uh, introduce you guys to Sarah Kephart, who's got some even cooler things happening, um, and we're just excited to share. So thank you guys again for your time. Uh, if you have any questions or would like more information about any of our programs, you can reach us at programs at envisionus.com, P-R-O-G-R-A-M-S at E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N-U-S.com. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Sarah Kephart. I'm the Envision Arts Program and Gallery, soon to be, manager. Uh, I've been with Envision for 10 years and could not be more honored to be here with all of you today. I'm sitting in my office in downtown Wichita, Kansas. I have dyed blonde, uh, ashy blonde hair that is straight and uh, parted in the center and uh, falls down past my shoulders. I'm wearing a black turtleneck and a white kind of cream colored uh, blazer. I'm sitting in a black chair um, proudly in front of our uh, pillars of, um, of our company. And so today I'm going to share with you a little bit about the Envision Arts program and um, about our new uh, national cultural initiative, that being the Envision Arts Gallery and Community Engagement Center. So um, the Envision Arts program is a year-round art program offered right here uh, in our main street location and has been operating since 2009. Um, we are located in the RC Expressive Arts Center and Patricia A. Pierre Art Studio. And what we are, we aim to uh, foster growth, um, creative growth and promote self-discovery through artistic explorations. The program is really designed to um, enhance and improve the quality of life um, for individuals that are blind, low vision, um, increase uh, independence, improve psychosocial health, and enhance one's sense of purpose in their lives. Um, so we are really here to exist to advance the mission of Envision and supporting personal growth, uh, targeting the whole person through expressive arts programming. And that so now really embodying not just uh, the visual tactile art, but also music, drama, movement and uh, storytelling. And our participants, uh, we really um, foster that professional development and growth um, through uh, exhibitions and the sales of their artwork. All of our students have opportunities to sell their work, um, making 70% of the sales and 30% going back to our program for overhead. So we um, currently have two students. Those of you are gonna be real familiar with this. Um, at the um, American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky, that have both placed in the top of their categories with our one of our um, after-school art program kiddos, Lorenzo, who placed number one in, in the sculpture division. And um, so, um, 
yeah, we are just trying to really share, you know, our mission in every way possible, not just at a local level, regionally and nationally. And in doing so, um, I am proud and excited to announce um, as part of Envision's mission to serve, employ, and advance accessibility for the blind and visually impaired, the Envision Arts program um, will be opening or has opened an inclusive and diverse gallery right in the heart of downtown and the old uh, Patrick Hotel building and uh, at the uh, historic Union Station. So, and this will provide us a supportive platform for people of all abilities. So the Envision Arts Gallery and Community Engagement Center is championing art accessibility as the nation's first gallery, primarily for and made by artists who are blind, visually impaired, and those that have other disabilities. So as I was mentioning before, um, and Teresa mentioned, I work with all ages, so from zero to senior citizens, and that includes a, a huge portion of, of um, uh, students that have not just vision loss, but have intellectual and developmental disabilities. So that is a huge component of our uh, organization and, and get to serve those as well. So our mission is to empower artists and audiences and um, who are blind, visually impaired by providing a safe and supportive platform to exhibit, perform, and, and engage our community with educational programming that promotes a culture of health wellness and unity through inclusion, diversity, equality, and accessibility to the arts for all. Um, we believe that um, by having this inclusive, accessible art space, um, that we are gonna create a more vibrant and healthy community through inclusivity and diversity, um, giving agency to artists and audiences um, who have long been marginalized in this field of expressive arts. So um, although we want to also encourage um, collaboration and integration with um, other sectors uh, being health and uh, technology and community social development, um, believing that this will foster innovation and ignite change in the field of accessibility. So uh, this, the gallery is now open Monday through Friday, uh, 10 to 4, and um, look forward to hosting you as a guest or maybe participating artist or someone that you might know. Um, uh, please join us. We now have a website at um, envisionartsgallery.com and then you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at um, Envision Arts Gallery as well. Thank you so much for this opportunity today. Okay, now um, thank you all for sharing and uh, we are open for questions, comments, for anybody who from whom you've heard today. Well, thank you. This was an excellent presentation. Uh, good to see you again, Sarah. I've got to admit, you're, you've changed your hair color, and I didn't realize that you were the same person I knew until you started talking, and then I realized it. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that. you know, Michael and I, you know, my first year here, I believe, with Michael Monefrane, we presented at um, the conference in McPherson. So I'm, I'm really elated to be back here today. Well, it's delightful <laughs> to see you and to have some nice memories from Envision. And my question stems from those memories. Uh, I know that I worked with some people as an orientation and mobility specialist who hadn't been successful in the manufacturing program. They were multiply disabled and they just 
couldn't quite move fast enough to keep the pace there. But they got involved with your art program. And I used to get a call saying, I've sold a couple of art projects and I've got more money now. So I want to learn to get to the thus and so because there are things I want to do there. And I was always pleased to teach those lessons when the request would come in and so on. And uh, I guess my question is, with all of the development that you've continued to do, which I am so pleased uh, to to see, I don't know if you do recall or, or if I ever mentioned that before I became an orientation and mobility person, I actually had a uh, background educationally and somewhat professionally in the arts. And I think it's just super what you're doing. But the question now is, uh, it looks to me like some people who have shown a uh, real penchant for this type of work may have the potential uh, for a career in the professional arts. And I'm just curious if you've had people who have been able to move to the point that they're selling enough stuff that they're saying, hey, this is my job. I am now a professional artist. And if so, if that is one of the goals that you're trying to get to. Well, Michael, thank you for the question. I um, I honestly can't say that there is one individual that is solely um, uh, creating work and selling work and, and, and not being employed by Envision, um, say, for instance, Rashonda Holt, um, who came to our art program, was extremely successful and through our upward mobility uh, initiative is now uh, working in our call center. Um, however, you know, uh, that is our goal with all of our, um, all of the individuals that we serve. Um, so, you know, we're just going to keep um, now with the gallery, we're going to be able to sell art on a more full-time consistent basis. And then with a, a website platform and social media sites, we're going to see more traffic and more sales uh, through, through those uh, avenues. I think that is absolutely superb. And thank you so much for your development of that program. Thank you, Michael. And our next hand is Ann Byington. This question, I think, is for Karen. Um, you mentioned some kind of a college mentoring opportunity, and you gave a website, and I wasn't, didn't have my Braille sense with me, so I need to hear that address again. Thanks, Anne, for asking. I actually forgot we disabled the chat feature for this because I was leaned over after I was finished to type it in, but let me give it to you again. It is www.collegesuccessbbi.org. That, that is what, were the, what were the initials? C-O-L-L-E-G-E-S-U-C-C-E. S S B V I dot O R G. So it's B V I as in blind and visually impaired? Correct. Right. Okay. I used to teach that for a living, so I might want to investigate that oh. entering opportunity. <clears throat> love love to engage with you on that, Ian. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, at this time, we have no further hands raised. 
Oh, that's too bad because our next presenter isn't here till one fifteen unless he's here or early. Um, I want <clears throat> to add to Michael's thanks, though. This was wow. I wasn't sure. I, I thought you'd need more time, not less. So y'all did a bang up job. It was good to hear from Teresa and uh, some of the other people. I'm sure. I think I know Sarah. Some of the uh, other folks I don't know. Um, we really do uh, try, although we're not haven't been real successful in the last couple of years because of COVID. But we do want to re maintain the relationship with Envision, and I again want to thank Mr. Monty Ferrati for the sponsorship that you all offered us. Uh, every little bit helps, as you know, and we. I'm sure you maybe you don't know that it, this. This presentation that you just did has, is broadcast on ACB radio, which means that there are people all over the world potentially who could have been listening to it. So <clears throat> hopefully you'll get some, some uh, people who want to work for you from other places than Kansas. Uh, I wish you were in Topeka because I want to do some of the things that you're talking about. It's too hard to get to Wichita these days, so <clears throat> um, thank you very much for your presentations, and uh, really, if anybody has any questions, we do have some time, so if you'd like to ask them, feel free. Thank you, Ann. I have my hand raised. But I <laughs> yes, I was just going to say, Michael's got his hand raised again. Okay. Teresa wanted to respond. I think Teresa wanted to respond, though. She unmuted, I noticed. I just wanted to tell Ann thank you. You you are so enthusiastic. I don't know how you do it. I I I admire people that have that much energy. Well, you keep praying for us. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. And likewise, my, my question uh, stems uh, sort of a, a continuation of ants. And uh, uh, I will mention to the envision folks that we are in totally separate parts of our fairly good sized house because that keeps us from getting feedback and stuff like that. So we didn't do this on purpose, but uh, when, when Ann was uh, talking about wanting to uh, do some of your things, but you're not being in Topeka, that, that does come to a question. And this is kind of a, a more difficult question for Mr. Monte Ferrante perhaps, but it is uh, a, 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 I think a legitimate concern. Envision for a while had facilities that were able to provide some outreach uh, here in Kansas, in Pittsburgh and Kansas City. And because of a number of business realities, which uh, we certainly understand uh, could probably not be avoided, those uh, facilities had to close. And so for some parts of Kansas, it may seem like Envision has uh, uh, retracted some services. Also, Linda Merrill had had a flirtation for years with opening something up in Hayes. Linda Merrill was uh, Mr. Monte Ferrante's predecessor, and uh, that was never able to come about due to some uh, just financial reverses in a number of areas. I'm just curious from a standpoint of representing now a statewide organization in KABVI that really wants to see good services throughout the state, is there any hope that you're going to be able to 
return or create more services and extend the beautiful things that you are doing now, sometimes in other states, also to western Kansas, southeastern Kansas, and back to the Kansas City area. Or Topeka. Or Topeka, yes. Um, uh, good, good question, Michael. Um, I was just, I was going to uh, share also that uh, we are actually coming to Topeka in mass on February, Karen, the third, February two, there'll be a group of seven or eight of us and we are going to be teaching uh, O&M at the state capitol. So we'll make sure we touch base with you uh, when we're in Topeka. And so you'll have the opportunity to meet some of uh, the wonderful new leadership that you've had a chance to uh, virtually meet today and happy to have you in attendance as we roll through the Capitol with various uh, House members and Senate members. So that should be a blast up in Topeka. In terms of your good question about having bricks and mortar presence in um, some of the places that we've had throughout the years, uh, those were great, um, great ideas and, um, and, and wonderful attempts to have impact in those local communities. And so impact is still a very strong buzzword that we use today. And so, but as part of our uh, evolution uh, growth here at Envision, it's a high leverage activity impact that we're looking at. So what we've, what we've uh, strategically done internally is that we, yes, we absolutely do continue to mobilize in those communities with our occupational uh, therapists and our orientation and mobility folks. And right now, Karen Kendrick is still our lead OT, Michael, who you've known for oh, yes. two decades. Wonderful person. And yes. And then Ray Otis is our current O&M leader. And I'm not sure if you've met Ray yet. And if you haven't, you need to. I look forward to it. No, I haven't. Yeah, you'll have a great appreciation for him, and I'm sure he would he would really have a have a keen insight into you in terms of the knowledge, experience that you have throughout our state. And so he's a tireless uh, traveler, kind of like you are and were. And uh, we continue, as Karen does and Andra does, to continue to travel throughout our state to have impact uh, where it's needed. If uh your February 3rd thing needs some extra assistance, uh, Mr. Monte Ferrati. I have, even though I am more fully retired now, maintained my practice certification and my practice insurance for uh, about another four and a half years now and uh, am doing some work uh, with adults pro bono since nobody else is doing that kind of thing. And I would be delighted to be of assistance and would be glad to talk with Ray, about any way that I could help ahead of time, if you would like. Well, Karen is is heading up uh, this embarkment, so uh, uh, she's hearing you loud and clear, and we'll make sure that that message gets spread within the organization, and we'll be reaching out to you, and be fun to see you. Thank you very much. I'll talk with her. Uh, Michael Monteferranti, it's um, just for Michael Byington. It's February second, second, oh, not third. Yeah. It's February second. Um, and we're scheduled to be in the rotunda from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. And we'll do um, 
basically every 30 minutes, we'll do a um, um, sighted guide training immersion experience um, with Ray leading that. Um, and our goal is to get every single elected official and agency lead through that session, or at least let them look over the railing and see us doing our work and learn something new. But Michael, I made a note of your offer. Very generous. Thank you so much. And it already made a note to reach out to you um, about Topeka. So I'll connect with you um, um, here in the next um, couple of business days. Thank you very much. So Michael Byington, this is Hannah Christensen. Um, as far as uh, reaching to the greater Kansas area, a lot of our youth programs take place either on a weekend or offer a residential component so that uh, children of all ages who are blind or visually impaired have the opportunity to come. We do also work very closely with our amazing development team to be able to provide some of the programming regardless of their ability to pay. So if somebody can get here, but financially aren't able to participate and pay registration fees, we do work with families to provide financial assistance for the programming itself. So we do connect with all of the TSVIs throughout the state to make sure that students are having their needs met and providing those different types of engagement opportunities that work for families. So if we have a family support program, we accompany that with a youth activity that involves the women of Delta Gamma. So families don't have to worry about finding childcare for their children um, while they attend a support program for their needs. We offer uh, the Heather's Camp program. We transport, if they can get to our central location at the Delta Gamma House in Wichita, we transport by bus to the camp location. So we do try to work as best we can with families to meet their needs in a way that's most appropriate for them. And I, I don't know that you um, specifically described what um, the level up programs, uh, residential programs are at Butler and WSU? Oh, yes. So yeah. for the level up program, we offer the level up high school conference, which is going to be June 19th through the 25th. And we stay on campus at Wichita State University. Uh, participants are able to choose from technology sessions in the morning, STEAM workshops in the afternoon, and different evening experiences. Our STEAM workshops are designed for um, engagement in different areas like engineering, metalworking, culinary arts. So it's to give students that intro into possible careers and, and further education. So we partner very closely with Wichita State University um, to provide those courses. So we have professional level um, college range courses that are being brought down to the high school level. And we support, we support those professors by engaging them in awareness division loss. And it's a win-win for us because they're able then to understand how to deliver their coursework at a college level um, and make their materials accessible for somebody who's blind or visually impaired. So it's a very mutually beneficial relationship. For the middle school program, our primary focus is on success in the classroom, and that'll take place at Butler Community College um, July the 18th through the 23rd. So while we are on campus with 
the students. They are learning how to navigate in a dorm, um, learning how to uh, move about in a college diner setting, navigating across campus, uh, building some of those independent skills that uh, middle school students are really starting to learn and, and need to be successful in their classroom, especially as they move from class to class. You go from elementary where you're all pretty much located in a single classroom to middle school where you're expected to move from homeroom to your English class to your biology class. And that's a little daunting for some students, especially if you're um, if you're not familiar with moving from one area to another. And it's an excellent opportunity to engage their orientation and mobility skills that they have been taught in school by their um, their professionals that are serving their IEPs. So we're just excited to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to engage at the level they want both. Heather's Camp and Level Up are national programs, and we've had students from across the United States join us for, for both programming uh, opportunities, and we're just excited to keep that going. The Level Up program, do you uh, employ any blind adults in that program? Uh, so we do. We work with Robert Beach who is the assistant technology specialist and professor at Kansas City, Kansas Community College, and Therese Gorin, who is our assistant technology specialist in the Workforce Innovation Center. So they are our primary technology instructors. We do offer the career services program where we engage between 10 to 15 uh, high school and early college age students to come on as mentors. So they have to submit an application, go through an interview process, and they earn a, uh, a small stipend for joining us for the middle school program and on a smaller scale for the high school program. We also engage uh, with some amazing, inspiring speakers throughout the United States to come on as our keynotes and um, specialize people who specialize in different activities. Um, we'll have Jessica Loomer be our keynote for our middle school program. She is a Boston Marathon runner, and she's also the uh, senior manager of accessibility for Spectrum uh, Telecommunications mm -hmm. in Denver, Colorado. For our high school program, uh, we'll have Bridget Frank. She is a recent graduate from Texas A&M, and she is pursuing a law degree. But on the side, she is a DJ. She's a house DJ at College Station. So she uses her assistive technology to mix music and play sets, uh, DJ B, and she is visually impaired as well. Uh, so we want to make sure that anybody that we invite to the program is going to be relevant to the kids who are joining us, that they can see themselves in the person that's presenting to them and feel that confidence that they can pursue whatever they'd like to pursue once they leave the program. One of my uh, pet peeves when I taught college readiness at the rehab center was that <clears throat> we worked with Washburn University very successfully, except when the kids went to the student services office, the very first thing they were offered was a note taker. And I just cringed every time they came back and said, well, we can get a note taker. And I said to them, do you want to be graded on the notes that your note taker takes for you? Or do you want to be graded on the information that you get yourselves? And I granted, this is kind of a picky philosophical issue, 
but I think it's a critical one because too often I think the the kids that come to uh, college readiness think that they're going to have the same support services they had from special ed uh-huh. and they don't always have the skills to to take notes they need to be able not to necessarily record them either i'm talking about taking notes uh-huh. in braille or in print or in some even if it's using a note taker that they have a strategy for collecting that information organizing it and storing it and uh, i think it's way too easy nowadays for the student uh, disability services offices to offer note takers to provide readers who aren't necessarily trained and that's another thing that I taught my students how to do was to work with a sighted reader so that because they had to pay that reader in those days Mm -hmm. voc rehab let them fill out the forms send them send them in and get the reader paid and if the reader didn't do things the way they needed they didn't keep that reader now the tendency is for the student services offices to hire readers. And again, if you're, I'm sorry, but if you're sighted, you think you can read to a blind person. And that is not necessarily the case. And even if it is, they need to have readers who uh, know the material. If you're taking computer science, you got to have somebody that knows how to read ASCII and code and not somebody off the street who thinks that ASCII is ASC2 just for example. So I'm sorry, I'll get off my oh, soapbox. No problem. Uh, one I, of the things that we work really hard on in the Level Up program, and the reason that we stay on the college campuses versus renting a hotel block or uh, utilizing our Envision facility is because we do connect with the disability services uh, on both campuses so that they can get a real life understanding of what students who are blind or visually impaired are needing. Uh, Wichita State University has gone through great lengths to ensure that the material they continue to provide is accessible. It's universal design is the whole concept that they are, are pushing for to make sure that any student who comes on campus can access the materials, access the news information that's being provided on campus. So us being present on campus is um, extremely important to ensure that they are getting a realistic understanding of what college or what students who are transitioning will be needing. We also work with their um, college readiness staff who present to our students about preparing for college, whether that's applying for voc rehab in a timely manner, ensuring that all of your documents are put together, knowing what classes that you should be taking, how you should structure your schedule to be the most effective for your learning style. So we take those uh, steps to make sure that any student that participates in Level Up has all that information and we maintain that connection beyond their participation in the residential program to be a resource. If they have questions, they can contact us. If they need a little bit of advocacy or terminology that they can use to advocate for themselves, they have the ability to reach back out to us at any point. Okay, I need to get in touch with you. I'm, <laughs> I, I re- like I said, I used to teach this and I'm quite passionate about it. And my focus was independence. Uh, a lot of kids didn't know how to um, 
oh, for example, use a Braille printer to produce their own notes if they wanted them in Braille. They'd always had a para to do that for them. And, and I had students come to me and say, you, I need you to put this on a disc for me. And I'd say, no, you don't. I'm not going to help you with that. You should know how to do that by now. So I, I, I'm sure my college kids did not like me because I would not do things for them that they should have learned to do for themselves. And thank you very much. We do need to move on. I think we have a door prize, but we really, really do appreciate all of the Envision staff and Mr. Monty Ferrante and your, your sponsorship for us. We can't do this by ourselves, and please feel free to call on us if you have questions, or even if you don't have questions, but you think maybe we have an idea that would, would be of use to you. Thank you very much.